What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hi, this is Steve. It can be a scary thing to recommend something you love. Of course, you hope they'll love it just as much as you do, but what if they don't? What if they hate it or even make fun of it? In a weird way, exposing something you love means exposing a little bit of yourself. I fell in love with Albert Brooks's Lost in America the first time I rented it on VHS way back in the late 80s. I thought it was one of the funniest movies I had ever seen. So when I found out that John hadn't seen it, I just couldn't wait for him to watch it so we could discuss the film on The Cinephiles. But then, as soon as we actually put the recording in our calendar, I started to worry. What if he didn't like it? Spoiler alert, he didn't. So, does the fact that we had very different feelings about the movie mean that we didn't have a great conversation? Nope. The opposite is true. We had an absolutely fantastic conversation. And so, I'm going to do something even scarier than recommending a movie I love to a friend. I'm going to recommend it to all of you. So head over to cinephiles.net where you can buy or stream Lost in America to determine for yourself how you feel about this film. Then come back on Friday to hear a great discussion between two friends who disagree on the cinephiles. Please do me a favor. Don't use the word. You may not use that word. It's off limits to you. Only those in this house who understand nest egg may use it. And don't use any part of it either. Don't use nest. Don't use egg. If you're out in the forest, you can point the bird lives in a round stick. And, and, and you have things over easy with toast. Hello and welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor in Los Angeles, California. Hello everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, uh, writer, producer, and host of numerous things around this city, including at Collider and, of course, the Top Ten Show. And happy St. Patrick's Day, Steve, as we record this. Oh, that's right. I hope I'm not, Patrick's Day. I hope I'm not pushing the curtain behind, you know, <laughs> opening the curtain to, to to reveal anything to behind the scenes. But we are recording this on the morning of St. Patrick's Day, and it's a nice day. It is a beautiful day. It's beautiful. I think people are aware that we do record <laughs> these things on other days than oh, when we release them. Oh, I, I don't think you've blown too much of a mystery. <laughs> So today's film, we, I want to talk about an interesting phenomena of being a, f- a fan of films that we have not gotten a chance to talk about yet, which is when you recommend a film to a friend who hasn't seen it, it is scary. There's the weird thing. I'm sure you've had this feeling where it's oh, yeah. like, oh, I hope they like it. And right. this is a movie I knew you had never seen Lost in America. Mm-hmm. This is a movie I hadn't watched it in about 15 years. Wow. But l- absolutely loved it and watched it over and over and over again in the, in the late 80s and 90s. And I was excited and nervous to have you watch it and i have a sense that maybe it didn't go so well yeah i'll be honest with you i think there's a reason i resisted this movie for so many years even when it came out even i'm being a massive albert brooks fan as i am i resisted this movie because i think there are certain kinds of movies that have a certain approach to the world that i know myself i'm not going to enjoy if it's too waspish too yuppie-ish too higher end it's hard for me to connect to it, even uh-huh. though Albert Brooks has consistently done films where he is a yuppie or a, well, he's Albert I know Brooks, he's Jewish, he, yeah. but a waspy type of portrayal. Um, 
But this one particularly uh, was difficult for me to watch. I think in 2019, probably even more so. Um, uh, and it just it just didn't do anything for me. And it felt interminable at times. And finally, when it was done, I was very happy, even though it was only a 90-minute movie. Uh, but I am very curious to talk to you about it. Uh, my girlfriend and I, she was she just sat and watched it with me. And uh, so, you know, she didn't like it either. She didn't like it either. And she felt my pain, but she understood it. She understood why you liked it. She understood why people would like it. But she also felt my pain about how much I just did not enjoy the movie. But there's a lot to talk about within the movie. So um, I'm strangely excited to have this conversation about it because we rarely disagree on a film. Yeah, well, it's so, it's so funny that we we literally just came off Inglorious Bastards, yeah. where I had strong feelings that were mm-hmm. fairly heavy, yeah. you know, and so and maybe this is the new turn for the cinephiles <laughs> is that they're look sometimes you like a movie and sometimes you don't, yeah, yeah. you know, but we still can talk about it and have a good discussion, absolutely. Um, oh, and just so we know your answer of how you came to the film, obviously it was yeah, last, last night, night. <laughs> and my answer is I didn't see it in the theater. I loved Albert Brooks. I rented it on videotape and just went. This is hilarious, and watched it over and over and over again from like 1988 until 95. I watched it a ton. Haven't seen it in a really long time until until last night. Um, so I found out some stuff about Albert Brooks that I didn't know. Do you know about his father? No, I know about his brother, Super Dave. Right, his brother is uh, Super Dave Osborne, and I know that Albert Brooks's real name is Albert Einstein, which yep. is insane. Uh, but yeah, this story is fucking crazy <laughs> okay okay so his father was a comedian his name was harry einstein and he went by uh harry parky but that harry was parky. that was his his stage name okay. and he was a you know kind of mid-level comedian he was on the eddie Cantor radio show oh, forever nice and he i think he was like the old school kind of catskills mm-hmm. you know uh borscht belt circuit kind of guy and this is what's crazy is how he died in 1958 there is a Friars Club roast of Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz. Oh, my God. This is a 100% true story. Okay. He gets up. He does a set. Art Linkletter, who's the host, says, says, wow, that was great. Why is this guy not have his own primetime show? He goes and sits down. And, you know, there's the big dais, the big table they're all yeah. sitting at. Sits down next to Milton Berle. Milton Berle says, wow, you killed. And Harry Einstein's head falls down in the soup. And people think it's a bit. And Milton Berle goes, is there a doctor in the house? And people laugh because they think it's a bit. Yeah. And finally, he convinces him this is not a bit. Four doctors come out of the audience. He's had a heart attack. They take him backstage. They literally, one of the doctors pulls out a penknife backstage to open his chest. Wow. Another doctor strips the the wires off of a a lamp cord to shock him. Right. Holy shit. On stage, the comics are still trying to go on with the show. Right. Then finally they realize that he's literally, there's literally like surgery going on backstage. He's dying. And uh, this is just so terrible is a link letter turns to Tony Martin, who's a singer and says, why don't you, let's not do comedy anymore. It just doesn't feel right. Why don't you sing a song? The song he sings is called There Is No Tomorrow. <laughs> and then and then like oh. it's time for Lucy and Desi to say their thing at the end of the yeah. show. And Lucy is weeping and says, I can't I can't speak. And then Desi Arnez gets the mic and he says, he says, This is one of those moments that Lucy and I have waited a lifetime for, but it's meaningless now. They say the show must go on, but why must it? Let's close the show now by by praying for this wonderful man backstage who has made a world laugh. Wow. 
And this is on the radio. You can listen to this. What? You can hear this? Yes. What? This oh, is, I gotta, I gotta find this. It's crazy. Wow. And and this is 1958. Albert Brooks was 11 years old. Oh. I I can't believe I never heard this story before. Yeah. So he dies. He died. There's no. Was he dead before they even started doing yeah. surgery on him? Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, that's how you go. Talk about killing it. Like you give you a great set. Milton Burrow gives you love. Our link letter gives you love, and you drop dead in the soup. There's I, no better way to go out. I, I, it's just, it's crazy to me. Yeah. Um. Something we already talked about is that Albert Brooks's next door neighbor were the Reiners. So mm-hmm. Rob Reiner was his best friend, and I think we talked about this way back when we did Taxi Driver. Yeah. Is that both Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks said that 13 year old Albert Brooks is the funniest human they had ever met in their entire life. I mean, that is talk about a pedigree. Yeah. Um, and he goes on, He his first television gig he does when he's like 18 or 19 is the Steve Allen show. Mm-hmm. He had never performed live. He he didn't he didn't work his way through comedy clubs. He was performing, uh, doing Ed Sullivan and Steve Allen and all these huge national shows before he ever performed before a live audience. Wow. And he just, he didn't even practice the bit. He just had an idea, thought it was funny, and then went on stage and did it for the first time <laughs> in front of millions of people. And and it's funny, his whole character that he created is the sort of arrogant Hollywood insider slash buffoon. Yeah. You know, uh, which is what you saw in the Saturday Night Live movies and all this stuff. And that a lot of people, particularly Steve Martin, Martin Mole, and Andy Kaufman, all like this is this was a huge influence on those guys. Yeah, yeah. You know, because he's mid sixties, early seventies. So for Saturday Night Live, and I think this is the correct story, mm-hmm. is that I think Albert Brooks is the first person Lauren Michaels hired. Oh, okay. And that, that and that makes sense. And that he didn't really know what the show was. Right. And he kind of said, Albert, you can do whatever you want. Albert said, Well, I don't want to move to New York. I, why don't I stay in LA and make short films? And he goes, Okay. And that's where those short films come from. Oh. Um, and at the same time, there's a Playboy article, and I love this title. A Playboy article written about Albert Brooks, a big, you know, thing, and it is titled The Funniest White Man in America. <laughs> so he was really big, huge yeah. selling albums. Mm-hmm. And he writes a script for a movie uh, called uh, Real Life, and he's trying to get Carl Reiner to direct it. And Carl Reiner goes, no, you have to direct this movie. And that's a movie. Have you ever seen it? Real Life? Yeah. No, I've never seen that one either. I saw it a long time ago. It's funny. What's weird about it is that it's the story is reality TV. Oh. It's what if a TV show decided to film a family 24-7. <laughs> How interesting. Yeah. And and Albert Brooks is the director of the TV show. How prescient, man. Oh, yeah. Um, his next movie is Modern Romance, which I haven't seen in forever. Oh, yeah. Modern Romance. Yep, I saw that. Maybe. It's really good. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Lost in America is 85. Mm-hmm. Of course, the whole thing comes from Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Monica Jones is his co-writer, and she worked on almost everything. I think she worked on everything except Mother, maybe. Okay. Um, and, and I found out how, what his writing style is, which is he yells into a tape recorder. He just plays all the parts and records all the dialogue, and then between the two of them, they go through all these recordings, and then that forms the basis for the script, which totally makes sense. Um, and he can't raise money for Lost in America, and they're having – and David Geffen is the producer of his records mm-hmm. – his comedy albums which are really successful and he's having lunch with rob reiner in a beverly hills restaurant and david geffen is at the sits at the table next to him and rob leans over and goes what's wrong with you david you need to produce this movie and geffen goes okay and that is how this movie gets made wow would you like to get into the film yes i think the opening of this film is totally bizarre and fairly stupid (laughs) okay 
I mean, we open with it like we're in a house where everything's been packed in boxes, yeah. and we listen to a long interview with Larry King and Rex Reed. And now, Larry King. We're with Rex Reed, film critic of the New York Post. How do you, uh, give me the modus operandi of Rex Reed. Do you have a preference? Would you rather watch a movie in a crowded theater or in that special screening room? Well, I, I like to see movies in the daytime. I don't like to see movies at night because I like to see... I like to be fresh. I like 10 a.m. screenings, if possible. I like to be in a screening room, preferably all alone, although that rarely happens. I don't understand well, what this is. It's so funny. I would not understand this interview, but because I've been doing this, that I've been, what I've been doing for the last three years, I absolutely connect with everything Rex Reed is talking oh, about. Oh, me too. Having gone to screening rooms, having gone right. to early morning screenings, uh, having you know, when's the best time to watch and watching films in a crowded theater, all that kind of jazz. I think it lays the groundwork for what we're what we're going to see in this film. This idea of how this very persnickety man wants things to be in a certain way for him to enjoy the world. Yes. And if he can't have it this way, you know, he's not... He's, he, it, it, it affects how he uh, can uh, uh, consume this media. And also, when someone calls in and has the, the girl, the woman that calls in and has this back and forth and then tells him how much she appreciates his point of view as well, it gets me in trouble. So he can't even take a compliment. So to me, this is all laying the groundwork for what we're going to see, in my mind, what we're going to see from Albert Brooks throughout this whole film. It's in essence a microcosm. It's uh, what's well, it's funny. You listen to Larry King, right? Yeah, I did. I listen to Larry King all the time. Mm-hmm. And so... There was something sort of comforting yeah, about yeah. listening to this interview. A young Larry King. Yeah. Well, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 but what's so weird about it is I just go like because the camera's like moving through the mm-hmm, house mm-hmm. and then it just stops on like a painting or a box or something yeah. and sits there for a long time while you're listening to this interview. It is so odd. Yeah, it's an, an odd opening. Beginning. Um and then we end up in the bedroom and there is Julie Haggerty. Um Who I and, love. And I think she's really funny in this yeah. movie. And Albert Brooks, and he can't sleep. You sleeping? Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't move. Oh, God. What's the matter now? And what we find out is that they're moving up. They are about. They just bought the really big house, mm-hmm. and he has got a big meeting the next day, and he is having a freak out. He's massively neurotic in this whole oh, yeah. scene. Drives me insane. Constantly keeping up poor Julie awake. Constantly keeping her up when she has a job to go do that morning as well. Yep. And asks all kinds of questions, then gets semi-offended when she says something that he takes wrong. We sold our house. We should have asked these questions before. All right, well, then I can't talk to you, so good night. Stop it. You're just nervous about tomorrow. You'll get the promotion, we'll move into the new house, and we'll be happy. Okay? You should hear your voice. It just fills this room with excitement. No, he's a complete basket yeah, case. Yeah, he is. A basket you, case, yeah, sure. Well, and his brain... bastard. His brain is just spinning completely out of mm-hmm. control. I think it's too close to here. It's going to feel like the same neighborhood. Maybe we should have moved far away. We needed more space, and that house has more space. No, I know, but a purpose of a house is more than space. We could have rented a locker. Also, we didn't get a tennis court. We don't play tennis. We don't have a court. If you have a court, you'll learn. I mean, it's just you see his mind working, and the thing that you say that he gets offended by... Yeah. Is that she says, yeah, I think sometimes we're a little too controlled. Yeah. We're not irresponsible enough. What does that mean? Nothing. Look, just get some sleep. You'll feel better. Don't assume how I'm feeling. What do you mean you wish we really were irresponsible? You think we're too responsible? Well, yeah. Sometimes I think we're a bit too controlled. Yeah. Really? You do? We're too controlled? 
How do you go out and buy a $450,000 house and get all the things you want and maids and servants and everything else and not be controlled? What are you talking about? What difference does it make? I'll go sleep in the garage. And this is the thing about this movie is that thematically, this movie is about what thing is going to make you happy. Right. Can you buy the thing that's making you happy? And right now they are in the yuppie, moving up. Mm Mm-hmm. Everything is the next job, the next house, the next thing, the Mercedes, which I think is like the core yeah. of the film in a way, yeah. is going to make me happy and rather than like, well, internally, I actually need things to make me happy. Um, and he even gets up. He's so offended mm-hmm. by what she says. He's like, well, I'm going to sleep in the garage. Right. <laughs> I'll guard the car. And then he goes, what am I, an animal? I can't sleep in the garage. I can go back and then. But also, this is an interesting, subversive, interestingly subversive uh, uh, scene at the time in the 80s when the yuppies were huge, sure. when upward mobility was the thing, when Reagan and Wall Street money and all this stuff uh, equaled importance and status, right? Well, of course, it does to a degree well, now, but, like, did, yeah. but it really did, really came into prominence in the 80s, this idea of it, right? That you could be in middle America or middle class and upper middle class, you could have that vibe. And um, what he's doing here is showing you that this is actually what's going on in people's minds, this idea of like, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Oh my, are we biting up more than we could chew? Am I really going to be happy? We should have gotten more. We should have gotten more. We didn't get enough. We got to get more, blah, blah, blah. Or and we so, got the wrong one. Or we got the wrong one. Maybe because if, if I get the wrong yeah. leather or the wrong this, then yeah. I'm not going to be happy. It has to be the right thing. It has to be the right thing, but you're never going to know what the right thing is, and so you're constantly spitting your wheels and hoping it, it turns out well in the end. But you never feel comfortable with what you just have. You're constantly thinking about the next thing. And so you're never able to live a life of peace. Well, this is the baby boom generation. I mean, yeah. this is a baby boomer movie. And it's funny. We first met our baby boom generation way back when we did The Graduate. Oh, yeah. And The Graduate is like the young man <laughs> looking at society. Guy comes up and says, oh, it's about plastics. Right. And he goes, no. And it's a rejection of traditional values. And if you think about it, like the baby boom generation is the hippie generation who said, you know, you World War II generation with your material possessions and your buildings and your stuff that's not what it's about man it's about finding yourself and going on a journey and all stuff but that is the same generation that becomes the me generation in the 70s and becomes the yuppies in the 80s you know so it's like this this generation is whether it's whether it is dropping out of society Mm -hmm. or whether it is buying the four hundred fifty thousand dollar house that does not have a tennis court this generation is looking for fulfillment in some way yeah and not finding it, yep. you know? Um, and I love, too, like this, she, 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 when he's talking about going to the garage, says, Don't do that. Why not? I'm responsible. I should be guarding the car. You're insane. That's right. That's it. I'm insane and responsible. This is a potent combination. I love the way he writes some of his lines. Oh, yeah. And, and in particular, she, you know, he, they finally get back to this job, and tomorrow he's going to get the promotion. And he says, For eight years, it's been one way. I, I, I've been this employee, and then tomorrow I'll get this promotion, and that's it. I mean, I'll have stock in this agency. That makes me responsible, genuinely responsible. So I can fool around now. Now I can be irresponsible. I'm in a position of responsibility. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. You hate you hate this man, don't you? No, I do. I do. I absolutely. He's not in any way sympathetic or a protagonist to me because he is the architect of his own demise. Absolutely, and almost his marriage's demise uh, oh, as yeah. well. Well, she's going to make certain choices later on. Yeah, which I think are not based in reality. But okay, yeah. The the well, this is you know what's funny is is that this is a perfect example 
Because I agree with everything you've said. Mm. He is a horrible, self-destructive person. He really is. But he amuses the shit out of me. <laughs> and there are other, and it's like, I, I think we talked, I don't know, I think we probably talked about this on the mic, but I don't remember for sure. But in general, I don't like embarrassment stories. Mm. You know, like watching your classic Ben Stiller comedy is just too painful for me. So like curb your enthusiasm. That's no, I can't handle just, it. You can't handle it. I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate that it's brilliant. And I have watched it. Or watching uh the British office. Oh yeah. Is the most painful thing in the world. And I, I totally appreciate why it's good, wow. but it hurts me so much. And yet for some reason this horrible neurotic messed up person amuses the shit out of me. <laughs> and it's just what what you because comedy is about pain. Yeah. And it's really what pain can you enjoy, yeah. you know? Right. So here's a really interesting thing about how Albert Brooks directs. So they're rolling camera. They do the take. He doesn't say cut. Rather than saying cut, he would just randomly go back to another line earlier in the scene and keep doing it. Ah. And then he would go back. And then he would go back. And he didn't always just go back to the beginning. Sometimes he went back to the middle or sometimes he went, you know, mm. whatever it was. And Julie Haggerty just had to stay in it. Yeah, roll with it. He didn't tell her that he was going to do this. And what she said is that it meant she had to know the scene so well because she never knew exactly where he was going to go. Right. You know, and I was like, that is really interesting when you're the writer, director, and sure. star sure. to do that kind of thing. Right. You don't like it. No, because you can. Yeah. And, but I think it's also... Um, that's the thing. You sign on to a film like this, you're you're subject to the whims of the creator. Sure. And if the person is the writer, the director, and the star, you kind of in a you kind of in a, 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 a I don't know you kind of in a subservient position to the overall piece See, and I, to that person's I, whims. I, this is what I'm actually kind of interested in. It yeah. reminds me of when we talked about all the president's men. Yeah. Is that Redford told Dustin Hoffman we should know each other's lines so well yeah, yeah, yeah. that we could say we could just say each other's lines and the other one jumps in and so they did that all the time where they would where redford would say one of dustin hoffman's lines dustin hoffman would say one of his lines and they it became this kind of improv yeah i'm like it's sort of an interesting technique it's the next morning he's practicing in front of the mirror yeah you know graciously taking his promotion in that garishly decorated uh, bathroom <laughs> yes um and and we hear that she's got to go pick out the tile and that she wants his help and he's just not not dealing with that. That's the thing. He's mad at her. They oh, yeah. scheduled this appointment. How did he not know this appointment was coming? And now, he, you know, he's mad that she would even ask him to go and look at the tile. Something they have to do because he's so stressed about this promotion. Well, two things about this. One is you probably shouldn't have scheduled the tile appointment on this day. Yeah. And two, it, well, let's say three things. Two is don't be mean to your wife. Right. And three is they have a horrible, essentially loveless marriage. So, yeah. you know, this is not. You know, neither of these two people are actually happy. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. He drives off in his sob with the theme music. Um, he goes, you know, he gets to his office, goes up in the elevator, um, you know, sees his secretary. Everyone's like, today's a big day. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Julie Haggerty, whose name is Linda, she shows up at her department store. She goes into her office and she sits down and a co-worker walks in and it's just... Super excited because she knows that she was in the new house and she's like, is it beautiful? You know, what tile did you pick? And Linda is right on the verge of tears. This morning after the contractor left, I was all alone and I sat in the middle of the living room floor. I got so sad, you know, a preview of the next 10 years. I just started shaking. I don't like anything anymore. I don't like my life. I don't like my house. I don't like anything. Well, and I love the different juxtaposition of their offices. He's a high-end office with the windows and a view. She's in a lower office with no windows, nothing. 
essentially in a basement yeah. uh, working uh, as a personnel director. Yeah, and her description of this house is it's just a sad preview of the next five years. <laughs> Nothing's changing. I'm not. David's not. Life's just going by. Right. I've had this moment, mm-hmm. you know. I've had this moment of like, you know, I know I, I'm sure you have too, you oh, know, sure. in, in the it shitty does. job or in the, you know, like, oh, this time is just moving. Yeah. Where know? this isn't what I intended. This isn't yeah. where I was supposed to go. But hers is even more poignant because she's doing exactly what society said was going to make yep. her happy. Yep. And, and it's not, not making her happy. Yeah. Which I think a lot of people are probably experiencing at this time quietly and weren't speaking out loud about. I think everybody has experienced this moment mm-hmm. of Oh, where what's happened? Where, where's right. my life? What, right. how, how did I end up here? Where's my life going? Yeah. And I can't tell you how many people who have talked to have had conversations with me about being the good girl, being the good boy, yeah. being the people pleaser, being trying to do what everybody and ending up at this place yeah. where there's nothing. And of course, and she sees David's fallacy because she says. You know, he genuinely believes that this promotion is going to change everything. But, you know, he believed that every single promotion. And it never does. Things are always the same. Back to the same. Never changes. Yeah. So he's been promoted up and down the... Of course. Up, up the, the uh, ladder. But yeah. it's never made him happy. Yeah. It's so, it's so funny because even knowing the fallacy of this, mm-hmm. I still think, oh, when that new iPhone comes out. Or, oh, when the new whatever. Oh, or when, sure. You know, I still, and I know that, no, whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. you're going to enjoy it for a little while. Yeah. And then you're going to go look at the next thing. Right. And what's the next thing? And I know that's the case. Yeah. There is no, and it's not that you won't enjoy your new car, you know, or you will. Yeah. But it's not going to make you happy. No. Right. You know. Exactly. You will enjoy it briefly, and and what's what's interesting too is that the the coworker says, well, then if it doesn't change, then you get divorced. I don't know. Yeah, I this marriage is right at the end. Mm-hmm. This marriage, either if 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 what happens is about to happen doesn't happen, either they go on living totally unhappy lives for the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. or they're going to get divorced. Yeah, there there is no hope of happiness for these two people. Agreed. Um, back at the office, Albert is talking to the Mercedes dealership. All right, so tell me again, everything, everything, tax, license, out the door, in my garage. Well, I don't know where your garage is, but it's $44,420. Wow. All right. It's a lot of money for a car, isn't it? It's not a car, Mr. Howard, it's a Mercedes, and that's the difference. No, I know it's a Mercedes, but it's just still a lot of money. Well, maybe you shouldn't buy the car then, get a Nova. Okay. Okay. I didn't know this. Do you know who the Mercedes dealer is? Uh, no. Who was it? Albert Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> He's talking to himself. <laughs> There's this whole conversation about- He has a slight accent, too. Yeah, it? yeah. It's a good voice. Well, yeah. he's a great voiceover artist. Yeah. I mean, between, you know, obviously right. Marlon, yeah. but also the Simpsons characters that Albert Brooks does. Yeah. I mean, Hank Scorpio is one of the great <laughs> Simpsons characters of all time. Truth. Um, so, uh, and this whole conversation is about him debating, should I get- the the brown interior or the tan and then he gets this point of like now there's no extras right that's it that's everything i don't imagine at that price i'd have to add now just leather that's all you'd have to add nothing else really yeah it doesn't come with leather no sir it does not that's why i told you you'd have to add it <laughs> first of all i hate car dealerships yeah, sure. <laughs> the whole thing is so horrible um and again he can't quite decide it. he's going like is this thing going to make me happy right um, and and then it's but time. it's only when someone mentions he could have something more that he all of a sudden goes into this place of like oh there could be I could I could have more 
can I afford the more? Can I get the more? And he passive aggressively tries to oh totally tries to trick the guy into giving him the leather by going like, shouldn't the leather be included? Should the leather be included? Should be included. Well, he's going to do this throughout the movie. Yeah, is whiningly trying to get reality to change for him. Yes, so, exactly. You know, is like this is what the reality is. Yeah, and once again, I go back to the Rex Reed. Oh, I have to watch it in a room full of crap. Right. Oh, but I'd rather watch it at 10 a.m. by myself right. in a screening room, even though it's impossible, but I'd rather have that. Right. It's always that. <laughs> it's funny. You're, you've put much more meaning in that opening interview than I ever did. I think, oh, you're, I think you're totally right. There's no reason it should be in there other than it's to lay so the ground for the movie. Yeah. I, you're right. You're right. I want, Especially okay. as intelligent as Albert is. Here, here's my question. Yeah. And I don't know the answer to this. Was that just a real interview that he just took, or did he write this? I don't know, because I remember reading something about Rex Reed recently where he's in another, he was in another film or something, mm -hmm. and he talked about the films that he's been in. Mm. And so I don't know if this is an actual interview or if they got Larry and Rex to record this interview or this section, and then they put it in the film. I mean, it sounds completely like a Larry King interview. It really does. Yeah. It really does. I really listen to him, like, every day. Well, and I used to an watch era. I used to watch Rex Reed all the time yeah. when he would do his reviews Back in the old days, you could actually watch him on TV uh, do his reviews with Gene Sh do Gene Shalit, and then, of course, Siskel and then Leonard Moulton as well. Talk about life is what happens when you're busy making other plans, the great John Lennon line. Yeah. Can you imagine if someone had come up to you and said, someday, that's going to be you? <laughs> no, well, I wish. Well, but you're I on, wish. Uh, doing an on-camera review. I am. I am. I am. But I'd like to get to that status and sure. get paid that money. That'd be nice. Yeah. Yeah, if only you could get that money, then maybe you could be happy. <laughs> if only I could do it in a leather seat. It'd be really great. Mercedes leather. That's, 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 what that's, I, all I got. that's what I'd want. That's what I have. Um, <laughs> By the way, they did the same thing with the Prius. Oh, of course they did. The Prius 4 has the synthetic leather. The Prius 5 has the actual leather with the sunroof. Yeah, my car has the fake leather. <laughs> I just, yeah, I, I'm so, I, I don't know where this came up on another podcast we did, but like, I don't like bargaining. Just tell me the oh, yeah. price. You're not a fan of it. Oh, I hate it. That's why CarMax is built for people like Oh, yeah. You. Like, you give me a reasonable price yeah. and I will pay it. See, I love bargaining. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I enjoy it. I enjoy trying to screw them over because they screw so many people over. I have no sympathy for car dealerships or car salesmen. My dad loved it. My dad loved yeah. my My Uncle Russell, and I almost did this. My Uncle Russell, he was so aggressive in bargaining for his daughter's car, like helping her when she was, it was time for her to buy. She was in her 20s. Yeah. You know, and she was buying her first car and he went into the dealership and he was so horrible that she was embarrassed. Yeah, of course. And she had to leave the room. And I went, man, maybe I will fly my Uncle Russell down <laughs> to Los oh, Angeles. Yeah. That Southwest ticket is totally worth Mm -hmm. You know, someone coming in, and I'll just leave because yeah. I can't handle it. Yeah, let him negotiate. Just the deal. negotiate the whole thing. Yep, and I'll say, and I'll take him out to dinner. That should be a separate business. Oh, someone should. No, it is. It is. is. Oh, That's really? how my mom got her last car. What? You hire someone to haggle for you? There is a company. I, I, here, we'll give them a free plug. Okay, it's called Car Car Intelligence in Marin County. I don't know if there are other places. I'm gonna go get hired there, and they, oh, you should do it. Yeah. And they did everything for my mom. What? They found her the model she wanted. She said, this is what the price is going to be. And they do like, you know, they helped her set the car up and they delivered wow. the car. Yeah, they do a whole thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Maybe this is your next big business. Yeah, right. Let's go to a meeting. I think this is going to go really well. <laughs> yes, so do I. I love, by the way, he uses a great, this is a little, really good small bit of directing, steady cam shot following him as he walks through the hallway. Mm -hmm. And it really builds up the tension. And you know he's not going to get it. You oh, of course know not. he's not going to get it. Of course. He's not. too neurotic to get it. Yeah, no. Well, 
I mean, we're watching a movie. Things can't go well in Act <laughs> One. True, true. <laughs> you have to have conflict. So we're in this meeting, and we meet Brad, yeah. who's just been hired on, and the boss is happy. He got two of the best guys in advertising, and Brad loves David's work, and it's a big deal because what account did we just get? Ford. Ford. No. I can't believe it. Ford? Trucks, too. Jesus. So this makes us like the biggest agency oh, in the world. Which is at the top of the heap. This is big. Massive. Big, huge things. Mark Sloan will tell you. It's big. It's good to have a big account. Sure. Um, Mark Sloan gets a lot of shout-outs on the Cinefiles. Ah, well, we love him. Yeah. Well, at least I do. I love you, Mark Sloan. <laughs> um, so, and then he does the worst thing you could do in a meeting, which is, which is he, the, his boss is starting to say something. He's saying, now, David. And he, David says, don't say it. As senior vice president, I'm here 24 hours a day. Don't even worry. I'm yours. I'll live on this floor. He didn't say you were senior VP. Right. He just assumed it. He just assumed he it. He thought if he could beat him to the punch and almost, once again, trick him into giving him the leather, right. he could get the leather. This is another example of that. Well, and one of the things that we don't ever get to know is how much is David right about what he was sort of promised. Right, right. You know, my my guess is is that this boss is fairly smarmy. Sure. And did kind of lead him on. Probably. But probably did. It's like going way back to when we did Crimes and Misdemeanors and Martin Landau didn't exactly say he would leave his wife, but he kind of hinted that he yeah. would leave his wife. Yeah. But that's what I think this boss has done. And these bosses are, you know, kind of in that position to have to do that because they want the guests get the best from their people underneath. The best way you get David's great work as a creator, and he was the he's what the head creative there right. is to kind of subtly promise him the senior right. VP situation when it comes up, right? And so uh, that's what he did. He manipulated the situation. Well, and 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 I love his response to this. Is he goes, "Oh no, you're much too valuable to be a senior vice yeah. president." Yeah, you love that response. Oh, that's great. Because what he wants is for him to pack it, pick up. Move to New York and work under Brad on Ford. Right. In two weeks. In two weeks. This is not a, like, two weeks? You want me to move across the country? He right. did just buy a house. They just bought a house. Yeah. yeah. And he's, of course, totally shocked. And he, I love he's sort of trying to recover. God, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't hear. You start in two weeks. Well, wait, no, no, no. But there was much too much information. I'm senior vice president, and then I just got no, lost. No, no, I've hired Phil Shibano as senior vice president. Oh, no, no, no. You couldn't. I, 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 I don't understand. I'm, I'm senior vice president. No, Phil Shibano is senior vice president. And then what am I? No, you're not. You're never senior. You're never this senior. never happened. <laughs> and the, again, again, this is terrible boss stuff. Oh, no, this is we're paying you a really big compliment. Yeah. So you could work under Brad and go on this big account. I should get the position I deserve instead of just being shifted to another account. This is just another account. You keep saying that. This it's is Ford. A, it's Ford. Yeah, it's huge. And he, again, he's like, we, we had lunches. You made promises to yeah. me. He starts to spiral out of control. Well, this is so. Here's here's my reaction of watching it. So, I didn't love the movie quite as much as I had loved it in the past. Mm. And what I really think about this film is that this is a movie with four great scenes. Oh, okay. And this scene is a great. This scene. is an incredible scene. Like yeah. what happens to Albert Brooks? Uh, it just yeah. Him watching him spiral literally spins out. Literally, totally. Spins out. I think it is amazing. It cusses his boss out. Freaks out the potential new boss that he was going to have in New oh, York, yeah. uh, and and completely demeans that guy. Uh, he says something you you 
bald headed zipper or something like zip. I don't know. He says some insult to him that I thought was classically hilarious. You don't even know me, you bald headed fart. And he goes at the dude sitting behind the desk. Oh yeah. Over and over, tells me to fuck you, fuck off, and blah, blah, blah. I was just like, wow. Well, first he's just like, and again, the boss is trying, yeah, to, to make this work. He's being as nice as possible, but well, while being kind of, I, well, yeah, while, while being completely self interested and, and right, of yeah, course, you know, because he's, that's his this, job. This is the job, yeah. And he says, because because Albert's upset that this Phil guy got the gig, and he goes, but I've been here longer than Phil, and he and what the boss's response is. Quite frankly, he's not as clever as you. He's more of an executive type. I need you creatively. Oh. Well, I, well, that explains it then. So by being extra clever and by being here longer, I get shifted to just another account. And he, because of his low intelligence and short time with the company, gets this job I've been waiting my whole life for. But has he really been waiting for his, this job his whole Like, how much of this is authentic? And how much is this, of this is anger at not achieving status? The answer, I would say the answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, he has built up this job. We know as yeah, right, this is what's beginning. going to give him happiness. But we also know from Linda that every single promotion is supposedly the greatest promotion yes. that's going to change his yes. life. So he has not been waiting his whole life for this job. He's just been constantly thinking that the next promotion it's is going to make everything work. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and, and yes, it is... I, I, yes, it is about status. Yes, it is about wealth. Yes, it, mm. and, and it's so, you know, like the idea that status makes you happy, status gives you status. Right. You know, it. if if you're an asshole, if you're an unhappy person to begin with, you will be an unhappy person with status. Yeah. Status yeah. is always fleeting. It's yeah. what's going on inside that, that makes yeah. the difference. But I also think this, he could have negotiated a better salary or a comparable totally. salary to the senior VP saying, hey, if you need me in New York, you're asking me to jump and you're taking, so if you need me, then I, and you want me that I need to negotiate a better situation for well, myself. Well, and, and I, just, I, I just bought this house and, and I've got to get out of escrow and exactly. I need moving costs. I mean, yeah, he was totally in a negotiating position. He was. And, and the fact that a new guy got hired on to be his boss, right. that's not going to make, I mean, you know, that doesn't make you feel good. No, at a, You know, like there's there's a position to negotiate from. Yeah. That's not what he's doing here. No, not at all. And then Brad Brad starts trying to sell him on this new thing because they have the rights to New York, New York. Yeah. This little town car will drive you away. Killer stuff. Dun, 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 I don't, don't want to hear this. It's Ford. Brad, shut up! Would you please? And the boss is saying this is a great opportunity. My God, I thought you'd be thrilled. Thrilled? If it's so thrilling, why don't you go to New York? I'll stay here. Come on, I'll take you to the airport. I got a car. Here we go. Airport. We go to the airport right now. I know. I'll take you. <laughs> Exactly. You moved from New York and you're not going back. Because people not, steal things people there. Steal things. And the guy, I love the other guy getting, uh, I resent that. That's a stereotype. New York's the, one of the greatest cities on the planet. Shut up, Brad. Your song stunk. I hate your suit and I could hurt you. I could hurt you. <laughs> he's threatening physical violence. Oh, he's gone off yeah. the deep end yeah. in this scene. He's a child. He is pounding. He is throwing a temper tantrum yeah. in that office. And this is where he, you know, the boss tries to interrupt and he yeah. says, fuck you. Yeah. Um, and that his that his logic of why he should get this job is that he asked all of his friends if he should get the job, <laughs> and they all said yes, you should get this job for a week or for a month. I think it was for a month he asked all his friends. Yeah. And the boss is still going. Look, I'm going to forget what you said. And he says, "Fuck you again." Yeah. And now the boss is says, fires him, calls security, and he and Albert Brooks just keeps going on this rant. I want my eight years back. I wasted my youth for you. I'm wasted. I'm over. Come on. I want them back. I'm going to stand in this office until you give them back to me. 
better than that, I'm going to start taking things home with me. I want your clock right behind you. Give me that clock. Get me security, please. And security shows up, and they take him out, and he walks down the hall screaming. Don't have lunch with this man. Be very careful. He'll want to take you to lunch. Don't do it. He'll tell you all about the future, how good the future's going to be here. I've seen the future. It's a bald-headed man from New York. <laughs> And I like how classic thing. It's a good shot the way uh, Albert shot it too. Him by himself all the way down doing a monologue and doors opening on opposite, on opposite sides of the of the hallway, which is brilliant. Yeah. We're back at the department store. This is a descent into madness. Yeah. He comes in. Running. He runs to the department store. He has completely changed. Yeah. Went from angry to this is the greatest thing that has ever yeah. happened. And the first thing he says when he sees Julie Haggerty is... Quit your job. Quit your job. I quit. You quit your job? Well, I didn't really quit, but I got fired, but it was the same thing. Linda, you were right. No more responsible, David. I'm free. And she's like going, no, I'm sorry I used that word, and I I think we've gone a little crazy. And he just, he goes, I was on, I love this line again, it's a great line. I was on the road to nowhere. Do you know the road? It's a nowhere road. It goes nowhere. You're on it. You don't know it? It's a nowhere road. It just goes around in a circle. It's the carrot on the stick and the watch when you're 70. You cannot say, it just goes on, on yeah. about this thing. And of course, she sees right through him. Who got named VP? Phil Shabano. Why? Phil Shabano. I don't know why the underqualified son of a bitch. I'll tell you why. Because life isn't fair. But you know what'll happen? It'll balance out. He'll buy that boat I've had to look at in that stupid catalog for three years. And he'll crash in Catalina and die. And seals will eat him. Come on, now. You like Phil. So what? I'm just telling what might be. Fine, he won't die and he won't be eaten. But he'll never find his way back to the mainland. (laughs) (laughs) And she goes, but you like Phil. He's like, it doesn't matter. (laughs) And then she's still pushing her to quit. She goes, I can't quit now. He's like, why not? Well, there's my boss isn't here. There's no one for me to quit to. Yeah. Um, and then what does he want? Well, it's time to get out. We have to touch Indians. We have to see the mountains and the prairies and the whole rest of that song. I don't even know what song. I don't even know either. Yeah, I don't know what he's talking about. Let's make love right now. I want to have sex with you right here. Right now, right here. Mm, on the desk. On the desk. Let's yeah. go. A quickie. <laughs> and she's like, no, there's people out here. And he's like, he's like, no, we can be spontaneous. This is a room with a ceiling. Um, okay, okay, we'll do it later. And he starts to leave and then comes back into the frame. And it's a great shot because it's the camera's kind of low. Mm-hmm. So he's o- bent over and it's sort of awkward. And he just comes back in the frame taking his jacket off like, come on, we can still have sex. Okay, okay, later, later, later. And he goes out. Yeah. And now we are looking at ads for little houses in the country. Yep. And they're all, surprisingly, really cheap. Yep, 55000 55, uh, Have you ever? Have you ever had the... I'm the the thought of man if I didn't live in Los Angeles uh all the time. Yeah. All the damn time. Yes. C- can I tell you the funniest one? So in in 2008 when the the real estate market crashed, mm. I found out that the what's the name of the the Detroit Tigers stadium? Do you remember? Oh Jesus. I don't remember the name. No, I know the Chicago one. I don't know no. Detroit. So Detroit obviously was on terrible yeah. terrible times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The stadium was for sale. It's probably Tiger Stadium. Maybe it was Tiger Stadium. Yeah. For $650,000. Wow. So I was sitting there going, I could sell my house in Los Angeles <laughs> and buy a football stadium. Right. Well, Detroit Tigers are a baseball team. So you would have bought oh, a baseball Sorry. stadium. Sorry. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Not a sports guy. <laughs> no, 
know, but still. Oh, it's Lions. Oh, Detroit Lions. Lions. Oh, you would have the Metrodome. The Metrodome, Metrodome is what you're talking about. The Metrodome. About. You would have bought the Metrodome for $650,000. Yeah. Wow. Now, it's $30,000 a month in maintenance. <laughs> so you really couldn't have done it. Right. But I sit there going, I mean, that's this moment of, man, if I move to the Midwest, I'd own a mansion. I, I had a friend who uh, worked for Toyota, and he was lived like in uh, Manhattan Beach or something. Yeah. And he had a little, you know, 1,200 square foot, 50, you know, little condo. Yeah. And Toyota moved their headquarters to outside of Dallas, and they were moving him, and he sold his, you know, little condo in Manhattan Beach and yeah. bought a 4,000 square foot mansion, you know, big, huge house yeah. with a pool. Wow. Yeah. 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 Yeah, well, Vegas has those houses. Oh, sure. Massively, two bed, two floor houses with a beautiful pool outside for way less than you pay yeah. here in LA. Yeah. So that's the fantasy they're on. Mm-hmm. And and then as they look through the singing, you can see she is buying in. Mm-hmm. And he goes over their finances. And he says, Now, listen, this is what I've been doing all afternoon. It makes sense to me. Tell me what you think. We got a ride on the inflation train that you would not believe. If they sell their house and don't buy the new house, mm-hmm. they'll have $140,000 in profits. And they lose fifteen grand on getting out of escrow. Right. They sell all their property. They get up to $190,000 and that they could go buy a top-of-the-line, beautiful RV for $45,000. And they have to get a good one because they're going to live in this thing for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And he he shows her, he's like, I've already picked it out, and then we're going to have $145,000 to just do whatever we want. I mean, this is what we talked about when we were 19. Remember, we kept saying, let's find ourselves, mm-hmm. but we didn't have a dollar, so we watched television instead. <laughs> <laughs> and and she starts crying. And he's like, well, why are you crying? And she goes, we really can do whatever we want, can't we? And he says, who's stopping us? Yeah. This is an I I think this is a perfect act one structure mm. of like you know in that and if you look at books about how uh, act one there's the inciting incident which is him quitting the job yeah and then at the end of act one we're going on the journey that is and like here we're, we're we have know what this movie is about we're gonna drop out of society we're gonna have an uh, a big mobile home we're gonna have a uh, hundred and forty thousand dollars in cash yeah. and we're gonna go find ourselves. Touch Indians, <laughs> <laughs> the mountains and the prairies and the whole rest of that song. Yeah. <laughs> How are you feeling about this plan? Uh, it's ridiculous and it's nutty, <laughs> uh, but they if they play it right, they could come out really good on the other side because of the money. Well, it, it, it's funny. And $190,000 in the 80s is a lot of money. A lot of money. I mean, I think he says we we can live on this for 20 years. And it's like, well... You're you're in your mid thirties. You're going to need more than twenty years. Yeah, I think financially this isn't a perfect plan, but the idea of we actually can do whatever we want mm-hmm. that's cool. Yeah. The problem is is they're still insane people, <laughs> and as much as that big house that cost forty thousand dollars with no tennis court was not going to solve their problems. Yeah. Neither is this. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, we're at a party, and there's some toasts. Uh, he gets up and makes a speech about. You know, roaming around the country, but the first thing he wants to do is stop in Vegas, and he pulls out a ring because he wants to remarry his wife, and it is romantic and lovely, and I don't feel good about yeah, it. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, it, it's weird. how are they having this party 
This is also interesting. How are they having this party? Does nobody does everybody know they like quit and they've left and or is this a, is this a goodbye party? Yeah, or totally. Is this, or is yeah. this a? Part- I think I think I think this okay. has been this is a few weeks later. Okay, because it took a little time to yeah. get out of the escrow. They had to sell all their belongings. Okay. They got to get the RV. So this is them. This and they, is a goodbye yeah. party. Yeah, and they announced it to her friends, and all the friends said, "Hey, we're going to throw you a big party." I think that's Phil who's doing the toast. By the way. It's oh, is it? <laughs> I think it is. That I think is it funny. is. I might be wrong, but I think it's Phil doing the toast. That is hilarious. Yeah. You know who else is at this party? Who? James O. Brooks is in the background. Oh, how interesting! And here's something I didn't know. I didn't know. So James O. Brooks met Albert Brooks yeah. at a party at Rob Reiner and Penny Marshall's house, uh-huh. which, uh, from everything I've heard. In the 70s, that was their house was the place to be. I bet. Everybody came. All every funny person in Hollywood was at these parties. Mm. And Albert Brooks was in their kitchen doing fortune telling comedically. And everyone was just lining up to have Albert Brooks tell their fortune. And James Brooks went, This is the funniest man I've ever met. And of course, he's writing at the time probably for Mary Tyler Moore right. or Taxi. And I didn't know this. James L. Brooks is in real life. He's in modern romance. He's in every single Albert Brooks movies. So Albert Brooks was a director directing James L. Brooks mm-hmm. long before yeah. James L. Brooks directed Albert Brooks in broadcast news. Right. I had no idea. I think what's crazy is there's a Mel Brooks and Albert Brooks and, and an Albert and, and, a, mm-hmm. uh, and a James L. Brooks and neither of them are related. None of them are related. Phenomenal. And one of them's named Einstein. Yeah, true. Um, and actually, Brooks, Mel Brooks isn't Mel Brooks's real name either. Yeah, they're remember. all yeah. good point. Yeah, I don't remember what James uh, James L. Brooks it probably is his name. His name is Izzy Iskowitz. Born to be wild. Yeah, <laughs> in an RV. And it literally is the shot of the of yeah. the wheel, just like Easy Rider. Get your motor running. Head out on the highway. You've seen Easy Rider? Yeah. Do you think this was his like kind of like? shot at people who had thought Easy Rider was this thing? Or do you think he was just playfully making fun of it? I think it... I think it is his exploration of the themes of Easy Rider. Yeah, like, is is this his shot at the people who were Easy Rider aficionados and hippies and who dropped out and then became yuppies? Is this his shot at Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But I also think it's his shot at himself. I mean, well, I don't think, you know, it's like he's not... It's not that he's making fun of these idiots. He's right. saying... I am one of these idiots. Right. Do you like Easy Rider? I think it's an okay film. I don't love it as much as people love it. And I think it's certainly super dated to if you go back and watch it now. I, I haven't watched it in a long time. I don't I don't get it. I get <laughs> I get why it's an important film. This I sounds like a Cinephiles episode if I've I don't heard think it's a, I, an I, upcoming Cinephiles. Except I don't I'm not that interested in it. Yeah, like, I wasn't in in uh, Lost in America, but someone made me watch it. Well, but you've you hadn't seen it, so no, you, I you could have loved it. We we did. That's a good point. We didn't know. That's a fair. Um, point. And if you don't love the movie, I mean, yeah. here's the thing. I totally understand Easy Rider's place in history. Right, right, right. You know, I understand why it's important. Uh, it's the first half of the title of one of the most famous books about Hollywood ever written. Right, Easy Rider's, Easy Rider's Raging, Raging Bulls, Bulls yeah, good which stuff. is a great book. Um, but I don't think it's a particularly well-made movie. I think, mm. I think, I think Dennis Hopper stumbled onto a movie that was a cultural sensation. Yeah, because then they they say, "Oh, direct your next movie," and it's a complete and total disaster because yeah. he's not really a director. No, you know, I think subject-wise. Easy Rider is a groundbreaking moment in film history. But to me, like you look at other movies of that era, like mm-hmm. The Graduate and Bonnie and Clyde, and that really are, or, or Last Picture Show, that are great films. Yeah. Easy Rider's not in the same league, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Okay. But if we get a lot of 
patrons who want to hear us talk about it. <laughs> I will totally revisit it. I haven't seen it in a really long time. Okay. I will study it. I yeah. will I will do all the cinephiles treatment. <laughs> and so if we can have a conversation. All right. Totally. John, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Cinephiles new sponsor, an absolutely incredible game, Marvel Strike Force. Now, anyone who's listened to the show knows that I've been reading comic books since I was five years old, and this is like a comic book fan's dream come true. You could create a mobile squad and play as your favorite Marvel characters. I mean, everyone is there, the Punisher, Vision, Black Panther, Cap, or even my favorite Marvel character of all time, Daredevil. Your goal is to power up those characters, unlock gear, and use them to compete in player versus player mode, alliance mode, and real-time arena. Yes, Steve, and as we speak, they are enjoying their six-year anniversary. Six years, wow. And you know what that means? Free stuff just for signing up via their unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. If you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Completing every single mission throughout the entire anniversary will result in an even more special reward. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out, y'all. Check out that unique promo code, and for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. Once again, Thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force. We're very, very excited to have you sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Um, and of course, the first thing that happens is he's driving while we hear the music is up pulls the motorcycle. Guy on the motorcycle, he honks his horn, gives him a thumbs up. <laughs> Gets flipped off. Yep. I think that sets a lot of stuff up for the film. <laughs> and he, he, we're about to leave uh, It's LA. a midlife crisis. It's a midlife crisis. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we're about to leave L.A. He wants to celebrate them crossing the border. And she's off making a, a grilled cheese sandwich. Yeah, grilled cheese sandwich. With the, with the, <laughs> the browning element in the microwave. Mm. And he's just like, I don't think I've ever tasted grilled cheese. <laughs> and she loves the kitchen. And they're just like, this is the best kitchen I've ever had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're very excited, and they're gonna head. The plan is we're gonna head straight to Vegas. We're gonna go straight to the chapel. We're gonna get married, and then we're gonna head out of Vegas. Right. Get to Vegas. Get to the chapel. It's late. It's late. She says, "Let's let's do it in the morning, you know, so we can get a fresh start, and then we'll be on our journey." Newly married, first people of the day. And he goes, "Great. We'll go out. We'll camp out under the stars, and we'll come back, and we'll do it first thing in the morning." She goes, "Well, maybe we could go to a hotel." <laughs> so you've only you only seen this once. Yeah what's happening here? Why is she stalling? What is, what is, what's going on with her? I think she's not a hundred percent 
I think she's trying to make the best of it, but I think she's having her own journey too. Yeah. And so before they do this thing that he wants to do, she wants to have one last like blowout and enjoy herself because like she like she said in that opening scene in the bed, she says, like we've never been irresponsible, we've never done, you know, we're so controlled for her now that they really can do anything they, they want to do. Her going and being in the bridal suite and like getting the whole nines and room service and all of the bath, everything for her represents really like being able to do whatever I want. I've always wanted to do this. I've never had a chance to spend the money to do something. I want to be catered to. I want to be like, I want to feel like rich for a night. And uh, and I think that's what it is. And then we'll see on the other side what I do. I, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. But watching it this time, I was going... Maybe she's freaking out. Like I wouldn't be surprised. She's is that she's? We've made this plan. We've given up all right. everything, and now and I remember two weeks ago she was close to divorcing this guy, mm-hmm. and now she's supposed to remarry him, which means she's going to be committed. Theoretically, oh, you're point. committed to him for yeah. a long. If you get remarried, yeah. you can't get out. And not only that, but she's in this RV. Yeah, you know, and you know, it's like, oh, I'm going to live a Winnebago life. This is what my life is going to be. Right. And so she stalls and goes, "Let's just have one more moment of civilization." And the thing is, if you have decided that your fantasy is to live your life in this RV and your first night opportunity to spend the night in that RV, you go, let's get a nice hotel room. Yeah. This is a cause for serious concern. You know, it's like, wait, wait, we just got in here. Right. Like this is our first night to do this. So they, but he, and then she entices him with, uh, you know, room service and porn. Right. And he's like, what? which I don't think they've ever watched together no. and take a bath together. And this is going to be, and she's like, okay, yeah. if that's whatever you want, if that's what you want, we're going to go do it. They get to the hotel. They go to the, what they say is going to be the fanciest hotel in Vegas. They end up at the desert Inn. Yeah. By the way, I love the reflections on the, the windshield of, of Vegas as they're driving through. It looks yeah. great. And um, they go up to the guy and say, we would like a bridal suite. And of course, he doesn't just say, we would like a bridal suite. He says, um, my wife and I have dropped out of society, and we were going to spend the night. This is the way I do it. Let me do it my way. I have to do this it my how, way. This is how I do it. This is how I have to do it. <laughs> By the way, there, it, there are so many people I know who have some of these traits. Yeah, oh, these sure. These Albert Brooks traits. <laughs> Oh, yes, he has a reservation. Well, I just dropped out of society. I kind of live moment to moment. I really don't do reservation things anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, the bridal suite's booked. And Albert Brooks is like, oh, okay. And she's like, no, no, he wants uh, money. Yeah. How much? And they have this little whisper. How much? I, give? I don't, I don't yeah. do this. I've never done this before. And gives him 50 bucks. And he's very smooth about it. He's like, you know, I know these computers. I used to work on computers. I know they can have problems. So maybe you can just take another look. And he goes, oh, you're, I totally know what you mean, sir. Goes back and looks at the computer and goes, no, it's still booked. <laughs> and he wants to leave. Yeah, he wants to leave. Yeah. She stops him. Yeah. And then he pulls a Steve Morris. Look, I don't that know. That is exactly right. That how is a to full haggle. Steve Morris. Just tell me how much you want so we just get this job done. Just tell me how much you want. <laughs> he goes, $100. <laughs> And then he still fucks him. Well, except except the, the real Steve Morris would be like, "Fuck this, I'm leaving." I would never ever pay someone 150. dollars What if Karen was insisting? She wouldn't. Oh, okay, fair no, enough. Yeah, no, we, we this is Karen, Karen. Karen and I are very similar. <laughs> okay, that's in good. a lot of areas. That's a very this good is, thing. This, actually, oh no, this is look. Certain things like 
people talk about oh like, i fall in love with i love yeah. i loved how she looked and i loved i saw her do this thing and i you know all these reasons we fall in love having the same feelings about things like money uh-huh. and how you do stuff man that shit is important yes it marriage. is it is a foundation yeah like you have to agree close yes. you know and, yes. and and you know because if you're like one person loves to spend money like crazy mm-hmm. and one person doesn't this is going to be a problem yeah that was my dad and my mom it was not easy my dad loved to spend the money mm-hmm. my mom was like squeezing the penny till it choked yeah yeah that's it it gets really yeah. hard yeah and so they now they're going to the room and the bellhop you know even as they're walking down the oh, hall yeah. it's not gonna be good and they open up the door and there is the most hideous cheap it's the it's the junior honeymoon suite. The junior bridal suite, yeah. Junior bridal suite. And there's these two little yeah. heart-shaped beds. Which is so weird. I don't understand the heart-shaped bed thing at all. Yeah. Like, no, I my body is not heart two people are not heart-shaped. Right. right. Like you're gonna have your legs hanging off of this thing. Give me a, a rectangle is like or a square. Yeah. These are the proper shapes to sleep on. Yep. Um and I love his like questioning the bellhop like well i gave him a hundred dollars this is the only sweet i don't know well can i open up this room i don't know is there a living room on this side? Yeah. i don't know it's just very funny and yeah, she's less and, and and he leaves the bellhop leaves and julie haggerty's still trying to make the most of it but she also says he says okay we're here yeah room service and porn let's do it and she's like well let's go out why don't we go out to dinner and a show so, and he puts the kibosh on that yeah she goes to check out the beautiful bathtub they're going to take a bath in comes back um yeah, there's no bath. No. None? No, there's just a tiny heart-shaped shower. There goes the bath fantasy, honey. <laughs> and But she says, you know, I'm going to take a shower, and then it'll be great. Don't worry. Cut to. Alarm goes off, 6 a.m. Yeah. Time to go off to be the first people to arrive to get married at the little chapel. Where's Linda? Yeah. So clearly, once we find where Albert Brooks finds Linda... I don't know if she ever got in bed. I don't know. He probably passed out from driving for so long in that RV and didn't even hear her not get into bed. And when we go down to find out where Linda is, she's still in the clothes she was wearing last night. Is she? Yes. So she not Did she not take a shower? I don't think she even took the shower. Well, and this goes to what happened at the chapel where she said, let's not get married now. Right. Like, what was in her head? Like, was she already consciously or unconsciously right going i want to go gamble well and then and this is my issue with the movie is that you know and albert brooks wrote it we know his character's motivations through the whole movie sure we don't know linda's and she's severely underwritten in that way it's up to us to decide what her motivations might have been or why she did this or that why she did the other thing other than that conversation with a co-worker yeah. in the film where she says she's unhappy with everything yeah. So you can extrapolate from that that this is her way of like breaking out. Yeah. I, I think she's felt trapped. Yeah. Um, and just it just explodes. Yeah. It, it, and explodes irresponsibly because it hasn't been it has been uh, let out slowly. Well, yeah, exactly. She is. She was. There was no safety valve yeah, on that boiler. Yeah. And the pressure has gone way into the red. Yeah. And now it's going to explode. Exactly. So he goes out goes down to the casino looking for her wearing his robe and his pajamas and his slippers i love the dated electric horseman joke (laughs) just gonna say the same thing (laughs) i love that movie back in the day i watched it i watched it maybe four or five years ago i still liked it it's a good movie yeah um is that Sidney pollock oh maybe might be i'm not sure 
It might be a Shmodow question. I'm going to look that up. Okay, you look that up. Yeah. Um, and he finds his wife sitting at a roulette table, completely crazed. Yes. Yelling, 22, 22, 22. Just over and over again. Come on, 22, 22, 22. Come on back, come on back. 22, come on, come on, come on. 22, 22. What's 22. the matter with you? Not now, not now. Just go away, not now. Come How on, 22. Root for me. We're going for 22. 22, 22, 12. 22. How much did you lose? I think this sequence is Julie Haggerty's best performance in anything ever. <laughs> I think. Oh, I, I agree. That, that what she is yeah. doing in this scene is completely and totally insane yep sydney pollock Sydney pollock oh good and he sees um gary marshall yeah who says you need to talk to your wife how much has she lost talk to her how much talk and she's betting you know five bucks or something like that Mm -hmm. and he she goes oh i was i was down um but we're going to hit and she hits 22 22 (gasps) 22 Thirty-five dollars. We're up. We're up. We're still down. How down? Down. How down? Down. Down. He looks over at Gary Marshall, and Gary Marshall goes down. Down. Yeah. (laughs) How far down? And she says all of it. And she is completely crazed. Yeah, she is crazed. Yeah. And she takes her winnings from the last bet and she puts it all on twenty-two. Oh my god. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Come on. How down are you? Down. How much have you lost? Everything. What does that mean? Everything. What do you mean? Everything on 22 and make it happen for me. I think that is an amazing bit of writing. (laughs) Everything, everything, talking about how much he's lost, immediately transitioning into everything on 22. (laughs) That is full insanity. And of course, double zeros. Yeah. And he drags her out of the casino, drags her into a race, restaurant, has her sit down, and asks what happened. And she says, "What well, two thirty this morning? This man said I was up a hundred thousand dollars. Hundred thousand dollars? Where the hell did you start gambling that kind of money? But it was more chips than I've ever seen in my whole life. They were all over the place. You wouldn't have believed it. Well, you had no chips when I came downstairs. No, but I, I can get them back. Stop it! I can't. This is so painful and horrible. <laughs> the scene. Right. It is so and." And, and he's like, well, but you had no chips when I came downstairs. And she says, I can get it back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the gambler. That is the fully crazed yep. person. Yep. Uh, and he, then he asks her, he's like, now the cash that we had with us in the room, you took that? Yes. You cast your personal checks? Yes. You didn't touch the traveler's checks? Yes. No. Yes. The core of the nest egg. Yeah. You didn't touch the traveler's Not the checks? traveler's checks. How much is left in the nest egg? Nothing. Well, get, give or take a thousand. Give or take a thousand. And she just kind of, in this, again, crazed way, says... But I never had this feeling before. I mean, there are people standing around rooting and cheering. It was like being on another planet. I didn't care. I didn't need anything. I didn't have any problems. Do you know what that feels like? She had a full, like, out-of-body, oh, yeah. insane experience. Yes. And he's just going like, why didn't you tell me you had this enormous gambling problem? It's like you had a venereal disease. You tell people this. <laughs> but she didn't know. And her line is, I didn't know. I only gambled twice. Yeah. This was the second time. <laughs> <laughs> and he's kind of just starts to talk like, I don't believe this. He's talking to myself. And she starts to interrupt. And he says, quiet. I'm tracing my life. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, there are like four great scenes in this movie, yeah. and this is one of them. Um, maybe even five great scenes. Um, and then there's this moment where 
you see her see the Kino cards in the middle of the table. And start to slowly. She reaches oh for them, and he says, if you pick up a Kino card, I'll kill you. <laughs> I'll kill you. And she has just a fantastic reaction to this. And he goes, stay. I think I can fo- solve this. Stay. She's like, why are you talking to me like an animal? I can't tell you right now. Just stay. Yeah. And she kind of has that shocked pull back. Did you know this is where the movie went? No. So you had no idea? No. Because I thought it was going to be them stumbling through awkward scenes with people who are across the country. Right. Weird things. That's what it's set up to be. Yeah. That's what I thought it was with the RV and everything. And it goes entirely off the rails. Yeah. How did you feel watching this happen? Well, you know, I didn't 100% like it because I didn't see her. I didn't see the motivation there. And it seemed a convenient thing to do that for the film to give them more conflict to have to overcome right and then speed up the inevitable confrontation about the marriage between the both of them right but it also took away the blame from albert brooks's character which, which i thought was a bit of a cheap move on his part because he is the reason this whole thing happened sure his neuroticism his convincing her to quit the whole nine giving her a gambling problem to me was a way of uh, of trying to tip the scales a little more balanced and I thought it was a little bit of a cop-out or uh, what do you call it? Like a convenient mm. uh, subplot to throw in there to make it seem as if he, you know, he wasn't the only reason this situation was happening. You know, it's funny. I asked you a question. Yeah. You gave me an answer. You yeah. 100% answered my question, <laughs> except you didn't answer the question I was actually asking. Oh. Um, which is, that was a great answer. I thought I did. Okay. No. So my question is, how do you feel about imagining your wife oh. losing your nest egg. Oh, yeah. I would never marry someone who would do that. So well, he didn't know. Uh, he had no idea she would do this. I don't this. know. Yeah, because he's so focused on himself. Why would he ever pay attention to her? Well, but he uh, didn't know that she... I mean, like, how would you know that she didn't know she would do this? Yeah, maybe. She but only gambled twice. I don't know. This is I, the second time. I always think there are red <laughs> flags, man. But you can spot if you want to find them. Um, how I would feel would we be insane. I would be... Just betrayed, feeling betrayed and angry. And because and I have worry about money all the time in my life, I would be just insane in, in, uh, in, in worry. And uh, I would have a hard time trying not to blame her. I would be like Tom Hanks in League of Their Own when he's trying not to yell at her for missing the yeah. cutoff. That's what I would be like. I would be like, you're still missing the cutoff. You're still this throwing so, away our so, money. This is so far beyond missing the cutoff, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, a, so. that's, a, that's an error in your yeah, baseball yeah. play. But that's what I would have to, I would have to control myself. I, 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 you, so, so Karen and I talked about this a ton yeah. last night. Oh. Um, which is, because it's funny, because when we, you know, she loved the movie too, and when yeah, we yeah. first saw it, we were in our 20s. Or even, I was probably, you know, I was probably 18 or 19 when I first mm-hmm, saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're watching it. I just turned 50. She's about to turn 50. We're older than these characters. Yeah, yeah. And we were talking about like, well, what would you do? And both of us, again, this is where we really agree. Yeah. Both of us said, oh, it's probably 70, 30 that I'd leave you. Yeah. Like this is the end of our, we, our marriage would end. Right. You right, know, right, like right. the, the, I'm not 100%, both of us were like, I'm not 100% sure I would leave you, but probably certainly at this if we stage didn't have a kid life. it's if we didn't have right, a kid. Right. if we had and a cer- kid it's different and but. certainly at this stage of your life 
Yeah, well, at fifty, because like, you're like, no, this no, doesn't. Fuck, fuck this. Yeah. Why, why would I? Why would I stay? In this I'm starting over anyway. Yeah, and and that's exactly my what own. we said. Yeah. If I'm gonna start over anyway, <laughs> I might as well get the hell out of yeah. this. Yeah. And what was crazy is we talked about it, and this is really weird because we hadn't thought about it before. Yeah, this is Karen's parents. Uh, they uh, owned fish markets in New Jersey and were quite successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Karen was 14, Franklin decided that all of his problems were from living in New Jersey. So he decided to pick up stakes and move to California. And he sold the fish markets, thinking they would have enough money to live nice lives in California. Yeah. And um, when they got to California, their financial situation was not what they expected. And I, I don't really know all the details here, but I do know that Franklin was a compulsive gambler. Gambler. Uh, I think one of them was one of, I mean, his, his license plate of his car mm-hmm. was 30K in one day, which was at the racetrack. Holy crap. He lost $30,000. Um, he, um, what? Yeah. Um, he ended up working at a gas station when they were in California. Jesus. You know, and then he, they, they opened a restaurant. They made another fortune. Hugely, anyone who lives in, uh, in the in the East Bay in Contra Costa County has probably been to their restaurant, which is Pete's Brass Rail and Car Wash mm-hmm. in Danville. Okay, and if you if I, I literally had a student in my class, I said, "Hey, where are you from?" He said, "Danville." I'm like, "Oh, well, you've been to my wife's dad's you know parents' restaurant?" Yeah. And I said, "Pete's." He's like, "Oh, of course, yeah. everyone has gone there." And they made a lot of money, and then they lost it all in the stock market crash in 2008. Oh. And so they they were broke again. Jesus. And so it was funny talking to Karen about it because Karen's mom didn't leave her dad. Right. Um, and both of us are kind of going, maybe she should have. Right. You know, because these are bad signs for a relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like the level of, there's a certain point where you don't forgive, you know, and, and the... And I'm a person, I'm very uh, sensitive to other people's feelings. Right. And so I'm always trying, even if I'm having an argument with someone, I'm tending to try to look out for them and not be hurtful. Right. And this is, I, you know, this story, I'm kind of like, yeah, I don't even know if I'd, I might just, I might not even have an argument with you. I yeah, might yeah. just like go, bye. It's, <laughs> I can't, I can't. Yeah. I'm, I'm I, I gotta go. Yeah. But Albert Brooks has a plan. <laughs> and so, Once again. And so he goes, uh, we could do something about this. And he asked to meet with Gary Marshall. I'm going to get that lip. Who, <laughs> who runs the casino. And he sits down with him. And the first thing he says is, I've heard a lot of good things about you. Yeah. What have you heard? <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, it's all, it's all, it's all good. Yeah. And then, and then he says, I have this idea. But before I tell you the idea, I have to tell you who I am. So you know that I'm not just some idiot and he talks about you know he works at this advertising firm and explains you know that he and his wife have just dropped out of society have you seen easy rider no i I haven't seen that and he's like okay it's a great movie anyway he tells him about the nest egg and and that we just lost our nest egg and gary marshall's like look i realize you lost a lot of money your room your food comped yeah (laughs) so generous (laughs) um and he goes no no, here, here i don't mean that here's the idea and he talks about how other hotels show have billboards where he shows the people who've won all this money and that that's what makes people come to Vegas. And so my idea is you give our money back. I beg your pardon? Gary Marshall, by the way, is amazing oh, in this scene. fantastic. This is the best thing he ever did. Mm. He'd never really acted before. Oh, well, until this movie? Yeah. Wow. I mean, he was obviously a writer and a producer. And he, right, right, right. And he had showed up a little bit, but this is the first, like, Albert Brooks scene Gary Marshall as the casino boss, it's so casting against type. Yeah. And it is perfect. 
Then everybody will want their money back. All the gamblers will say, hey, go to the Desert Inn and get our money back. We, you know, we, and he's like, no, no, but we're very special. We're not gamblers. We represent a very small group of people. It's, pro- it's probably, honestly, it's only us. <laughs> <laughs> when Albert Brooks, you know, sticks his foot in his mouth, it's always so beautiful. Yeah. And he says, this would separate us from the schmucks who just come here to see Wayne Newton. I like Wayne Newton. I said Wayne Newton. What were you talking about? I heard you say, schmuck, see Wayne Newton. I like him. That makes me a schmuck. I like Wayne Newton. Did I say Wayne Newton? Does that make me a schmuck? And he goes, I, I, it's a bad example. I, I, I drew a line by the performer. I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and he goes, and, and, and <laughs> Carrie Marshall's like, I don't think a sign's going to work. Giving the sign is wrong. The sign is wrong. And I love that you see the advertising oh, guy yeah, yeah, in yeah. this scene. It's like, really, which should be a, a, a TV, like a TV ad with a jingle. A jingle. A television campaign. The Desert Inn has heart. The Desert Inn has heart. <laughs> the Desert Inn has heart. It's enough. It's enough. <laughs> Just trying to sell this thing. This is one of the other great scenes. Yeah, yeah. This scene is fantastic. Um, and he, he, he drives word associations. Like, you think, hunt? Uh, hunting? Or like, hunting lodge? Yeah. Hunting. Rest home? You rest. And he's like, Desert Inn? Feeling. Yeah. Like, no, it's gambling. Las Vegas <laughs> gambling. People come here to gamble. It's a gambling play. They don't shoot ducks, raccoons, beavers. They come to gamble. That's what we do here. Now, you're a nice guy. You make me laugh and everything. But our policy is we can't give you money back. I'm real sorry. Say goodbye to your wife. I got to go home. And he even tries to make it. It's like, you remember Miracle on 34th Street, you know, where we have gimbals and they had to do this thing. And he's like, yeah, but that had Santa Claus. Then we get him. Who? Santa Claus. We get him. That's the ad campaign. There it goes. I have the chills. We associate for the first time ever Christmas and Las Vegas. Las Vegas, a Christmas place to be. We're finished talking. Yeah. (laughs) Finally cuts them all. Cut to (laughs) driving in the RV, very heavy music. Yes. In silence. In silence. She's trying to get him to talk. I can't take this anymore. Will you say something? Anything. I mean, yell, scream, drive off the road, anything. Just stop being so quiet. I'm fine. Well, see, and that's the thing that I don't like. The film now has put him in the victimized position. And I think it's bullshit. And I get mad. I got mad watching the scene going, fuck you, Albert Brooks, for doing this. Because you know that you're the neurotic idiot creating this whole damn movie and this whole situation. But you had to give yourself a moment of... I don't know, a moment of uh, superiority in this situation, and I hated it. It's funny because I don't have that reaction. Yeah. Because to me, it kind of makes them even. It's like, oh, That's you're the broke. problem. But why is that a problem? Why should it be even? He's the idiot who started the whole fucking problem from the beginning by 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 uh, being too neurotic about the promotion, then not getting the promotion, flipping the fuck out in the office, losing the job, and then essentially peer pressuring her into quitting her job and then going out into this adventure with the RV and then selling all the money. She didn't say she wanted to drop out. She didn't say any of that. She just said, yeah, we're, I just want a little bit of fun. I, I don't want to be so controlled. She didn't say, I want to tear apart our whole life. But, well, and, he, and then giving her this gambling thing kind of evens the playing field. And I don't like it because I think he's the reason the whole thing is happening. Well, he's crazy. I am not defending mm-hmm. him. He's mm-hmm. a crazy person. Mm-hmm. Well, it's really funny. So th- th- I, th- maybe this takes She's a, a sweetheart and she's in a shitty situation. Maybe this takes us too far afield. Um, but uh, again, this is, uh, I have to run this by Karen, but but this is about Karen's parents, uh-huh. is that uh, Karen's dad was an alcoholic, yeah, and her mom stayed by him. 
Right. And we had long conversations. I remember maybe 15 years ago Mm -hmm. where I finally went, oh, I understand what an enabler is. Right. Like, is that we wanted to go, oh, Franklin deserves all the blame and Donna is the victim of the situation. Right. And there was a certain point where I went, oh, this is Mm 50-50. She's right there handing him the beer. Right. You know, her not standing up to him, her not leaving, her not having agency over her own life. Right is allowed this thing to happen Mm -hmm. is that i look at these two people and yes he's a fucking loon yeah there's no question about it but i look at this person who was crying in the four hundred fifty thousand dollar house because she's so unhappy and going what have you done right you know what have you were you you're you've just allowed these things to happen Mm -hmm. like you're you're you married this guy you you accepted all these life choices that have been made over and over and over again Mm -hmm. and now she just loses it right She's done with it. Right. Right. She, but she, also because he is probably the most inconsiderate husband in the on the planet. Because if we're going to add shit that she was doing in the past and didn't do or did do, then you got to also extrapolate from what we've seen from Albert Brooks' character in this whole movie that this guy wouldn't have paid attention to her even if she had complained about a situation or stood up to him or said whatever. He would have ignored her, called her crazy, made it her fault, or got out or just like made it some some mindfuck way to bring it back around to make her feel guilty, which is what he does. I, I have no problem with what you're saying. Yeah. I agree with it. I all, but it's well, also, you don't have to agree with that. I'm just no, no, no. I, I, I think that he's yeah. sh- a shitty, self-involved husband. Yeah, you know. But she, it, it's funny. standard eighties. <laughs> Um, I think I think we can have shitty self-involved husband throughout history. Yeah, fair. That's <laughs> fair. But I mean, it was really big. Yeah. I, I anyway. mean, the the what's funny and, and it's funny. Like I totally if that if this is the moment where you reject the film, I didn't reject the film. I just don't like the situation. Right. Yeah. Um. And and she's trying to get him to talk, mm-hmm. trying to get him to say something. He just says, "I'm fine." And then she goes, "Well, that's we're almost at Hoover Dam, and let's just go there and we'll we'll have lunch." And he goes, "Hoover Dam, fine." Right, and it's so dangerous. Like you can feel the tension. Yeah, as and, and again, I'm like, and as he should be, he should right. be completely furious. Mm-hmm. You been to Hoover Dam? No, I love Hoover Dam. Yeah, really cool. I've been there twice. It is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it's one of those like when you hear the story of how this thing got built, it's just like I don't understand how humans did this. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing we don't really do very much anymore. Even though our technology is so much further, we don't. We don't Hoover Dam it that much. We're That's, just kind of that way. Yeah. Once we do something, we don't really want to repeat it. Well, and we don't have, yeah. The, well, and the thing too is the way things have to get done take five times as much money and five yeah. times as much time to do it. Whereas back in, you know, in the depression, they just said, let's build this dam. And they went, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Anyway. That's a little side note for the cinephiles. <laughs> uh, we go out, we look at the dam. He looks down this huge, huge, you know, cliff essentially and says, right. You want to go first or should I? Passive aggressive moment. There he is. Sure, absolutely. Such a dick move. And then she says, you know, I'm starving. Let's get some food. And he goes, ah, we shouldn't waste money on the knickknacks at the dam. And she says, well, you know, if that's going to be your attitude, why don't you just give me my half the money and let me eat whatever I want and you do whatever you want with your half the money. I think that's the fair thing. Here she is standing up to him. Well, that is a ridiculous. I him exploding at this moment when you say let's split the eight hundred dollars we have left. Yeah, yeah. That is that is a problematic statement. If we <laughs> both put in the money, but you could also say this: he may, he stayed married to her, knowing yeah, her of possible. Mo- we don't know if she went on shopping sprees no. or whatever. We don't know what she did. So he stayed married to her as well. So he shouldn't be all indignant. 
if he knew she had a problem with money in the past. It goes both ways. That's my my argument towards the movie, not at you, right? Towards the movie itself. Well, whether you argue with me or I agree, it goes yeah. both ways. That is exactly my point. These are two. What happens with her losing that money is that these are two crazy people. Well, I'm just saying, if you're going to put out that he, there's this stuff in the past that she didn't do, I'll put, I have to counter that and say, well, there's stuff in the past that he didn't do either. And your countering is totally successful because <laughs> I 100%. Well, this is like, what is marriage is people making the choice to stay together. It is. You it know, is. and like even, and marriage is, always going to be hard it's right. always like you you look at this uh whatever situation it is and go all right we're in this shitty thing because all marriages mm-hmm. end up at certain moments where it's hard yeah, yeah and then you go but i am choosing to stay together yep and that is what this movie is going to really be about is that we have as shitty a thing happen as could possibly happen right. their entire plan because again what they did in choosing to drop out of society, quote unquote, drop out of society, mm-hmm. is quote ex- unquote choosing is exactly what is was the same thing as buying the house in the Mercedes, mm-hmm. which is they said this thing is going to make us happy. Right, right, right. We have we have said that, but and, and we're going to do it in this way where we're still going to have this safety net of yeah. the nest egg yeah. to protect us from the actual hard stuff. So in this weird way, we're still going to be safe and protected while we're sort of pretending to take a risk. Yeah. And that is a fallacy. That doesn't actually work. And so now we take away that thing. Yeah. And when she asks about splitting the remaining money, he <laughs> freaks out. The fair thing? I can't believe it. That's it. I have been too controlled. And he freaks out very publicly to the point where people are concerned. What do you mean? You took our nest egg and you broke it all over the desert inn. You filled up the casino with yolk, the fair thing. I was sleeping. Which is the thing he can't get her like, why didn't you wake me up? And she's like, okay, yeah, get it out. It's all fine. Oh, stop it. Don't treat me like I'm an insane patient, Just please. go back inside. You can yell at me. I don't want you to yell out here, okay? Have you ever had someone like, oh, it's okay. Yeah, go ahead and yell. Yeah, oh, nothing drives me more nuts. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't coddle me. Yeah. Like, don't, yeah. You can't do that. Here, out where? We live here. Get used to the cement, honey. This is our house forever. Because he wants an audience for his shit. He could have had the conversation in the RV. She said, talk to me. Well, he is doing, he, I mean. He started doing it in a public place. This situation is so insane. Yeah. I, I don't give, I don't criticize Albert Brooks for, <laughs> I, I have all sorts of things to criticize him about throughout this yeah. whole film. But th- this is an entirely justified wig out. Okay. There, you don't think that, nope. I mean, oh, come on. I don't. You're I crazy. Don't. If I someone don't. lose, if, if, if someone lost everything you owned. Right, right, right. You don't think you're justified in wigging out? Absolutely. In the RV when we're supposed to talk about it. Look, Not in public, out in the middle of Hoover Dam in front of people who don't know our situation. We've had this conversation before. I don't remember which podcast it was on. Yeah, yeah. But like to me, oh, I'm, I do remember. It was Chasing Amy. Is that oh. the public argument is unacceptable yes. to me. Like you don't, you want to have this conversation with right, me? Right, the hockey rink. with the, the, the hockey rink. Yeah, with Ben Affleck. It's like you have it. I 100% yeah. believe that. We have gone so far beyond, like, <laughs> like what is acceptable that, yeah. like, th- this is where, like, I go, I actually, if, if Karen did this and lost all of our money, every time we have a fight, I worry about her feelings and making yeah. sure she's okay. I, that would be gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I worry about public appearances and we don't do things in public. Mm-hmm. At this level <laughs> right. of a thing, man, maybe that's gone. But I agree with you. You shouldn't have fights in public. Yeah. That is not appropriate. We found ourselves 
boy, did we find ourselves in the middle of nowhere with nothing. Finally, they get in the RV. Mm -hmm. And she says, I apologize from the bottom of my heart. I'll make it up to you. I'll give you breakfast in bed for life. And he says, stay away from the food. You'll lose it. Hmm. Which I don't quite understand the line, but I find really funny. Mm -hmm. And he's still going, I want to know how this happened. I don't know. I just held things in so long. I just burst. What did you hold in? What were you holding in? Everything. Listen, you know, you weren't the only one whose life wasn't satisfying. I sat in that office for seven years without a window. Sometimes I felt like I was going crazy. And, and, and this is it. Like, she... Like, I don't think we can fully appreciate the level of pain this person was in. Right. Why don't you spend 10000 and rent the Goodyear blimp and have it fly around and flash positive things? Much cheaper, same result. <laughs> like, if you want to do something crazy, just do something crazy. Why did you have to do this crazy thing? Mm -hmm. And she says, I didn't understand till now. And he says, oh, great. Okay, well, congratulations. I'm glad. I mean, I'm glad you understand everything. Unfortunately, I'm still screwed up. And we don't have the money to fix me. You're fixed. And now we have like, you know, a couple of hundred for me. 100,000 for you, 100 for me. I think I was sicker than you to begin with. And I think I was sicker than you to begin with, which is true. Very true. And then we get to the nest egg. So, you know how I say I think there are four or five great scenes in this movie? Yeah. This speech about the nest egg is amazing. Yeah. Karen and I have quoted this for years. <laughs> for years this has come up. He says, The egg is a protector like a god, and we sit under the nest egg, and we are protected by it. Without it, no protection. Want me to go on? It pours rain. Hey, the rain drops on the egg and falls off the side. Without the egg, wet, it's over. And she says she understands the nest egg. And he says, please do me a favor. Don't use the word. You may not use that word. It's off limits to you. Only those in this house who understand nest egg may use it. And don't use any part of it either. Don't use nest. Don't use egg. If you're out in the forest, you can point the bird lives in a round stick. And, and and you have things over easy with toast. The bird lives in a round <laughs> stick is something Karen and I say all the time. <laughs> <laughs> this is a full insanity. I yeah. mean, like, he has gone over the edge. Yep. I, I already know the answer. It's funny. I wrote down a question, but I already know your answer. Do you think he, this is fair? No, not at all. I do. I, I think I, he's a massive asshole doing this, and he's uh, basically putting her under his foot again and making her subservient to him. And I think it's terrible what he says to her. I think it's horrible what he says to her. And says, like, you're not allowed to say these words. Who the fuck are you to tell me what I can and can't say in this world? And then tells, you know, only people who can talk, only people who understand the nest I go talk about. There's such a, a condescension in this whole speech that I thought was completely unwarranted. Uh, because she could have turned around and said, if you weren't such a neurotic fucking asshole, you wouldn't have lost our job, lost our money, and gone on. If you had had any kind of psychotherapy or listened to anybody in the entire fucking planet, maybe we wouldn't even be in this situation now. But because you're such a massive self-involved dick, here's where we are. And look, this is what happened. In a way, you lost all our money. That's what really happened. If you could have taken even one minute wait, wait, wait. to look at someone else the... by not even being remotely considerate to me, you allowed this situation to occur because you didn't even focus on anyone but yourself. And so, like, there's such a way that you could have turned this whole thing around that if she was written in a certain way, could have put him back in his place in that scene completely. But this is such a this is such a man. Uh, stepping on a woman scene that I just I just didn't like it I just didn't like it at all. It's so it's so funny how differently we see it. Yeah, like because to 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 me 
Well, it's, it's funny. So like telling so, someone bird in the st- like that's just all like well, man. He's gone over the. He's insane. Yes. And what he's saying is from the beginning. Well, sure. And now he's completely lost it. Right. And what he's saying is totally ridiculous. Of course, you can't tell someone they can't use a word. Right, that's right, insane. Right. But it was funny. I asked Karen the same question. Is he being fair? This is what Karen said. She said she has no rights. She is. She, she, sorry, she has no rights. She's given up everything at this moment. It is completely fair. Yeah, I disagree and, more. Yeah, and I, t- I, no, I totally, I totally agree with Karen. Yeah, which is why we're on the same page about this. Mm-hmm. It's like she has completely violated the whole trust of their marriage mm-hmm. by losing all their stuff. And what it's funny too is that I think. You think I don't know how to put this quite the right way. Mm-hmm. I think I'm giving her more responsibility and agency than you are. Um, In what way? Well, because I'm saying she's responsible for her actions, and you're saying he's responsible for her actions. Yes, I'm yeah. saying. I'm saying he created this relationship by being the dominant force in the relationship. Therefore, whatever comes out of the relationship. You are responsible for. You're not just responsible for all the good things that come out of it. You're also responsible for being for all the bad things that come out of it. Like the coach of a team. If you're the coach of the team, you are responsible for the team wins or he's loses. He's not the coach of a team. He's he, a, he's the way a partner. he treats her, he is. But she there's allow- no partnership here. But she allows. Are you crazy? Of course, there's no. This partnership. is a boss employee relationship. But she allows that to happen. That's what I'm saying. Oh. oh. But I don't agree with that allowing thing a thousand percent here. I think, I think yes, in that she goes along in this relationship. But his being inconsiderate to her is him allowing this relationship to exist this way as well, I, and it serves his purpose of feeling of needing to be the dominant person. In even though he's neurotic as fuck because he's so insecure, such low self esteem that in his mind he has to be this dominant, uh, abusive person. I agree with everything you say about. He's my opponent. Yeah, no, no. I agree with everything you say about him. Um, I just uh, also blame her. Sure. Yeah. Um, So, but what does she do? She actually takes control of the situation on some level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which she walks out. Yep. She puts out her thumb. Because she knows she doesn't deserve that treatment. She knows it's wrong what he's doing to her. And for once, she's going to stand up and walk the fuck out. And she does. I think she knows she does deserve that treatment. Oh. All right. But she walks out. So you're saying she runs away. That's what you're saying. By her walking out, she's running away from her responsibility. Bullshit. She's saying to him, fuck you, don't treat me this way. I'm out of here. I think she is saying that. (laughs) I also think she believes it. What has she said the whole time? I am responsible. What did she ask him to do? She said, yell at me. I deserve. And to forgive me. No, she didn't say that. She says, I'm sorry. What do you think you say? I'm sorry because you're asking for forgiveness when you say you're sorry. Well, sure. No, you're right. You're right. I I agree. You're right. Yeah. Um. And she gets in a car. Um, yeah, which is I didn't know Donald Good was in this. It was right? like, seemed a little nice little cameo. And he's like, "Don't don't get in the car." And now he's chasing her mm-hmm. in the RV. Finds them at a, a diner. Yeah, goes in. He stands up. Is much bigger than Albert Brooks. Yeah, Donald Give yeah. But and it's weird. But Give is saying to him, "She doesn't want to talk to you." Right. So get the fuck out. But he's saying it's my wife. Yeah. But he's saying. She doesn't want to talk to him. And she's not going, no, no, I do want to talk to him. She's letting Donald Gibb handle the situation. No, but she's she's clearly scared of Donald Gibb and, and does want mm-hmm. to go back to Albert Brooks at this moment. I don't know that. I, she doesn't say that. She does, when? actually. Later, she says Later, that. she says that. Right, not in that moment, though. Yeah. 
Well, and I, I think that she, I think as soon as she got in the car, she knew she had made a mistake. Mm. You know, because the guy's talking about That's, how he escaped from prison. Like she right. got into a scary car. Right. Eventually, she realized she made a mistake because of him. Yeah, I'm not saying that she. She didn't make a mistake leaving him. No, I don't. I'm not saying. I'm saying she got in the car. car with the wrong guy. Yeah, she got in the car with the wrong guy. That's for sure. Um, and uh, he gets punched in the face, <laughs> and then gets starts running around the the RV, and she yells. She's yelling, "Call the police! Call yeah, the police yeah. to protect him!" And when we hear that, you know, the police are going to come, he's like, "Going, you know, if that, if I wasn't wanted, I would kill you." It's so great if I wasn't wanted. And then and then he heads away, and we get an RV and drive away. Yeah, uh, and she's concerned her like are you okay and he goes next time get a ride with a small woman um and she says everything's really going to be okay yeah i think she i, I she did walk out on him mm-hmm. but i also think she she knew that he needed to wig out like that you put a lot of meaning in people's actions in this movie this is interesting that's not said well no it kind of is she's saying like you need to get angry she says that over and over again earlier in the in right the, right and then he did get angry, and she's. But going, you don't think she walked out so that she could, so he could get no. the anger? No, no, she no. walked out. She, she walked out because he was horrible. He was treating her. He was treating her horribly. Yeah, agreed. But then at the but then in the RV, she's the one that has. Once again, she's the one that has to calm him down and get him back in shape, just like she did in the fucking opening scene. She's the one that has to do all this shit to keep him level. Once yes. Again, yeah. I I I'm not. I don't like David. I don't like this no, person. I don't, I don't know why you think you're taking it personally. This yeah. is my, I have issues with the movie and Albert Brooks. It should be Albert Einstein who's in here taking my taking my barbs about the movie, not you. I'm just saying uh, um, these are, no, these I'm are not, my feelings. I'm, I'm not taking it personally. I know, well, you just said I, I don't like David. I'm not accusing right, you of no, liking not, David. I'm not, def- I'm not yeah. defending this human. Right, right. I, am, I just have a slightly different analysis. Because what's yeah. funny is she's laughing now. Right. Have you – so I'm sure, I think we talked about this before, but mm. – What's fascinating to me about the road trip, about dropping oh, and, out of soci- society, right, right, right. is that the the best stuff is the worst stuff. Yes. The horrible disaster is hilarious. It's where you know, it's actually a relationship. Yeah. And the lunacy of human the human condition. Well, and the fact that they're laughing now. Yes. Is that on some weird level, and this is what the movie is saying, on some weird level, her losing all the money and this total disaster makes them a successful couple again yes it brings them back together yeah. again because that's the true test of a couple is surviving like you were saying earlier steve surviving the tough times right that eventually come maybe not for every couple but certain for a lot of couples. Well, and, and, and what's weird about it is that like they had put all of their happiness him in particular mm-hmm. but both of them on the house and the promotion and the mercedes right and then they had realized the fallacy of that goal and then they put all their happiness on the RV and the nest egg and that that's what's going to make us happy. Mm-hmm. And then what actually happened – and then they lose all of that. Right. And then what actually is going to make them happy is each other. Right. Finally. Eventually. When everything gets stripped away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now they're, you know, they're kind of driving and laughing and she looks and says, it's beautiful here. Yeah. Which is the first time – They've actually seen any of America. Well, it's the first time she's accepting the situation, yeah. too. Yeah. And, you know, we realize we're in Arizona now. And he's like, well, we could live in Arizona or New Mexico. And she's like, can we, why don't we move to Canada? He's like, no, no, you're, you're missing it. <laughs> <laughs> you know how much it costs to fill up an RV? Which, by the way, is a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And then they get pulled over by a cop. Yeah. Which is just, and his line is, we're in hell. 
<laughs> we entered hell. And the cop pulls him over and says, stay in the RV. He does not stay in the RV. Of course he doesn't. No. And he does the same thing that he's done before. <sighs> That's right. So he's learned, he's learned no lesson. No. No fucking lesson. He, he, I think he's learned some lessons, <laughs> but he is the same person. Yeah. Which is, I'm going to try to talk my way out of I'm this gonna, thing. I'm get that leather. And he... <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is nowadays hashtag that's, i'm gonna get that i'm leather. gonna get that leather <laughs> and he's like oh no i you know they told me at the rv that this would happen because yeah. the ladder is messing up the radar and all of this just everything you should never just do full on to a cop. Yeah. and then she comes out and says have you seen easy rider and he's yeah. like i tried that before it doesn't work and the cop goes i can't believe you asked me that it's my favorite movie of all time i love that movie i started riding a motorcycle because of that movie why'd you ask me that it's like oh my husband's sort of built his based his whole life on that and now brooks is like well the last couple of weeks <laughs> <laughs> and they talk to him about easy rider and he goes you know what they say we're dropping out of society he goes you know what and tear up the ticket yeah um but you know what's interesting about this moment yeah um he likes easy rider for the different reasons than those people like easy rider oh sure he likes easy riser rider because those guys get killed at the end right yeah. justice served yeah. as a policeman he's like i like that movie because yeah. it's got the right ending yeah whereas they're they like the movie because it's about dropping out yeah it's such a easy writer such a weird movie it is that, that's by the way i will say the scene with nicholson around the campfire oh that is a fantastic scene it's a good scene that is a great scene mm-hmm. and so he lets him off mm-hmm. <laughs> our folks tries to connect him one more time do you see the terminator the terminator no i didn't see that <laughs> It's funny because you could make arguments about this movie. And we should move on, but you can make arguments about the movie that it's like, well, what universe does the movie occur in? Because in this, this movie occurs at the time when Terminator is out, right? When Easy Rider exists, yeah. So this is an interesting. Cause I don't most, understand. Most people don't try to reference topical things in oh, movies sure. because it puts it dates the movie at a certain time. And Electric Horseman, right? And Electric Horseman. <laughs> so it's a very interesting decision. Yes. It's also always funny. Uh, we've been watching some old Simpsons with Jacks, and there's so many pop culture references in the Simpsons. Oh right. And it's interesting to th- see the things that make no sense anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like so in this movie we have. Easy Rider, still perfectly good movie reference. Yep, yep. Terminator, perfectly good r- movie yep. reference. Electric Horseman, nobody. Yeah, no, I mean, I know the movie, and you know the movie, but most people, yeah. that's not going to hold up. Yeah, for the younger people listening, your parents might know the movie or your grandparents. Yeah. That's about it. <laughs> Look, it's the romo- most romantic Jane Fonda, Robert Redford movie you could imagine. Yeah, I thought it was Barefoot in the Park. Nope. It's, uh, it's- I do. I, oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I like Barefoot in the Park. <laughs> we get to Stafford, Arizona, and his line is... My legs are asleep. Let's live here. <laughs> and they pull into an RV park. When they wake up and he comes in uh, and she's making him breakfast, it is very clear that they had the greatest sex of yes. their lives the night before. Mm-hmm. And he does a great sort of, I don't know if it's like a Stan Laurel kind of gesture of just like, I think that whatever happened between the nest egg and the gambling and all the stuff has like burnt out like a like a burn through their whole relationship yeah and burnt out all the crap yeah. on some level and they hug and they go we're gonna go we gotta go out and find jobs like right now yeah. and they both walk out to find jobs he walks past horseback riders <laughs> and looks around and we're in small town usa yep which for this is not his place no not his environment he sees a sign for a, uh, a help wanted a druggist and goes in and asks about the job and the guy's like um, it's really a job for a kid. Yeah. Like, do you have a car? He's like, no, I have an RV. He's like, well, you can't 
do drug deliveries in an RV. And he asks, is there an employment office? He heads over to the employment office. The guy at the employment office, who's just like a local guy, non-actor, yeah. yeah. who's great, asks him, you know, what his experience is. He goes through his whole resume, asks him what his salary was, and ends up as like $100,000 a year. And this guy just cracks up. Yeah. And he goes, well, what kind of jobs do you have? You mean like $100,000 a year jobs? <laughs> He's like, well, I was looking, you have like an executive file? <laughs> like, no. What they have is a crossing guard. Yeah. Oh, and he, and he asked this guy if he's seen Easy Riders. Like, no, I saw Easy Money with Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> Rodney Dangerfield Talk about another pop culture reference yeah. that doesn't hold up. <laughs> and we're back at the RV at night, and uh, she says, man, she's a good chance he's going to get a job, assistant manager of where? She's like, well, I don't want to jinx it. The manager said he was going to sleep on it, and she asked him about it. He said, well, I don't want to jinx it either. Cut to he's the crossing guard yep being totally abused by these asshole kids who call him brillo pad hair and swear at them and then he's just sort of begging cars to hit them <laughs> i mean this is a rough yeah as a 5 15 hour crossing guard in the middle of arizona brutal a tough gig back at the rv he walks in and she's wearing her derwiner schnitzel uniform yep because that's what she got hired to do and she looks at him what you guys said crossing guard and and then out of the bathroom comes Skippy. Skippy. The actual manager. He was like a 19-year-old blonde. What's he doing there? I don't know. It's really weird. Yeah. And what Albert Brooks said is he this is also, I think, just a real guy, Skippy. Oh, wow. He said he said he was just he what he liked about this guy actor is that he was a natural idiot. <laughs> <laughs> he said, Albert Brooks says it's very hard for someone to really play a certain kind of natural stupidity. Yeah. And this guy nails it um and, and he i love he's looking at this kid who's obviously an, a moron and going wait you're the guy who had to sleep on it like you yeah that is something yeah. to hire your mid-30s <laughs> very you know very professional wife yeah very um, intelligent wife yeah. yeah um and skippy loves their whole dropping out of society thing right well because he's a teenager and it sounds good when you're a teen um yeah and then he says, let me let me talk to you. And they sit down at the table and kind of Skippy's just standing there in the background. And and Albert Brooks says, now don't get me wrong. I've had a, just a, a lot of fun in the last two weeks. Things didn't go exactly like we had hoped. But if we're here together now after what happened, we're not going to split up. So that assurance makes me feel great. And I'm real happy for it. Which I think is true. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a totally true thing. Isn't that wonderful? I told you this would be a blessing. Right. And then he says, given our age and these jobs, we're not going to see another nest egg for ever. Which yeah. is a beautiful Albert Brooks delivery. Skip is watching the Flintstones in the background. And he says, I think that there has to be some better way to rebuild than this. And I thought maybe of a plan that might speed things up. And I just maybe I, I just should sound it out with you. Really? And she said, oh, maybe I was thinking of the same thing, too. And he said, really, what's your plan? I was thinking that we go to New York as fast as we can. And I eat shit? Yeah. My plan, too. And I eat shit? <laughs> My plan, too. <laughs> yeah. So, again, Karen and I say this to each other all the time. <laughs> and I eat shit? <laughs> My plan, too. 
And we just a hard cut to New York, New York with Frank Sinatra playing. Right. They pull out of the RV. They don't even unhook. No, no. They speed out of the RV. We go into a driving montage. Well, they kick Skippy out first, oh, which I Skippy love. Out Skippy first. out. Out. Yeah. Driving montage all the way to New York, obviously not sleeping, drinking coffee. They arrive in New York City, get a parking space <laughs> right in the middle of Midtown. Somehow. He gets out of the car in the suit. She right. kisses him goodbye. And he looks up, and there on the street is Brad. <laughs> is Brad. And he, uh, there's this moment where he's kind of behind a passerby and then jumps out and says, Brad? <laughs> and Brad, scared shitless, yes, runs away is. from him. You get away from me. And he chases him down, and the camera pulls away, and we get text on the screen that says, David Howard got his job back. Job back with a 31% salary cut, but better medical. <laughs> and then it says, Linda Howard got a job with Bloomingdale's. She's now expecting her first child. And then it says, to those that have the courage to drop out and find themselves, may God be with you and take you through Utah, avoiding Nevada completely. <laughs> and that is the end of Lost in America. It ends, one of the weird things about the movie, it ends so suddenly. It does. And it is just like over. Yeah. yeah. Bit of a fantasy ending. Obviously. Oh, yeah. Obviously. I mean, he does take a 31% pay cut. <laughs> I guess, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he had to eat a lot of shit. Yeah. Yep. And I don't know that he got Ford. And he deserved to eat a lot of shit. Absolutely. He probably did get Ford, so he probably had to work hard, but at a 31% cut. Yeah. So they are yeah. making money off him yeah. coming back. And this movie is a sleeper hit. Oh. Like, like it makes solid money, becomes a big rental, and even has a Criterion collection. It does. Which, by the way, you should have liked this film. Because yeah, I know. you said that Criterion movies, yeah. that that's the seal of approval. I know. It's a fair point. This has yeah. now brought everything into question. I... Much like David and Linda's life, everything was brought into question. <laughs> Maybe I will come out the other side as well. John, do you have final thoughts on Lost America? <laughs> Here's my final thoughts on the film. If you love the movie, more power to you. I, you know, there are just movies that don't connect with me, and there are other movies that don't connect with Steve, and that's how why we do the Cinefos. We love talking about films that do connect for both of us, but every once in a while, it's nice to have a film that doesn't connect for one of us so we can have an honest, frank discussion about it and a good back and forth. And those are the episodes sometimes that you as fans thoroughly enjoy us uh, doing. So um, here's what I'll say about the film. Uh, if it's your cup of tea, God love you. For those of you who agree with me, uh, uh, God love you as well. Even more. Even God, more God so. love you more. But I, I just do not connect to this movie in any way, shape, or form um, because I just have a problem with how it's constructed. But these are just these kinds of films that don't do it for me for whatever reason. But that being said, the end of it, I think, is a very important message. And that is, no matter whether you have money or status or power or whatever, if you're in a relationship, it's about loving that person that you're with and uh, feeling feeling strong with that person. At the end, that's where the wealth is. That's where your true status is. That's where your true power is in the world is finding is I guess if you're in a relationship is finding that relationship that gives you that gives you that because that means you can survive anything. And I think that's the good thing about the end of the movie. It doesn't mean you have for those of you who don't want to be in a relationship ever, doesn't mean you have to be. But if you're built to be in one Finding someone who you feel a connection to and a power with, uh, that's the true wealth in this world. And I think that's what the message is at the end for me. Sure. So for me, um, I will say I don't think this movie held up quite as well as I mm. wanted it to. It's like the I stand by the I think there are four or five great scenes. Mm -hmm. Is that him quitting, him wanting to have sex with her on her desk, Gary Marshall – the nest egg mm -hmm. and maybe her in the restaurant when they're talking about uh, 
her gambling. Absolutely. The, the, those scenes are amazing. Yep. Um, the movie's very 80s. It's very, it's cheap. It kind of has a TV movie kind of look for most of it. Yeah. Um, what I think, the thing that I think is so interesting about this movie in particular is that what I love, Albert Brooks is a unique comedic voice. Absolutely. He's, his whole manner and kind of language and kind of neuroses, I mean, like, does it, have connections with Woody Allen does sure. But, but like, you know, cause it's a classic Jewish sense of humor, but watching a completely unique comedic voice to me is so much fun. Mm -hmm. And just, I love listening to Albert Brooks go off. Yeah. I love the, the, the way his language works and the, the humor of his insanity. It just, it tickles me. It makes me smile. Um, and it's funny going back to this, like, what the theme is, is to me, you cannot pin your happiness on external stuff. Right. Whether that is you going off and finding yourself, like you're already there. You're like, you can't, you know, or, um, you know, money and property and all this stuff that none of that stuff is going to bring you happiness. If you, in, in, in a relationship, it has to be a relationship to who the person really is. Yeah. You know, and it, warts it, and all. Yeah. Warts and all. And that, that when they can laugh about the ridiculousness of what they've experienced, that's when the relationship is working. Yeah. You know, so uh, I do. Yes. I will say one. Last, oh, are you finishing up? I'm done. Okay. I want to say one last thing. Uh, and just for people, if people think I have, I love Albert Brooks. I do. Yeah, I know you do. I, I'm doing broadcast news. I, I love Defending Your Life. That's one of my closet favorite 90s movies. Or I think it's late 80s movies that where he has to literally defend his life in the afterlife to see if he's going to go to heaven or hell. Right. With Meryl Streep. If you haven't seen that, that's a fantastic film. I even enjoyed Mother. Uh, so I, I like a, so much the muse, not so much, but uh, pretty right. much everything else he's written or done, I've thoroughly enjoyed. For whatever reason, this one just didn't. But so I don't want people thinking I hate Albert Brooks. I don't. Um, I, I think it's duly noted <laughs> that John does not hate Albert Brooks. Yes. Um, well, I mean, this is, and, and you know what? I th I totally enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. I think this is a great conversation. We will have more of them. Yes, we are going to gush. I think I know what the next movie we're recording mm. is, and I have a feeling we're going to both gush about that film yeah. with possibly two very special guests yes um but you know sometimes sometimes talking about movies means talking about not agreeing about yeah, them. Yeah, you yeah. know that's part of the thing in a healthy way yeah so that is very clearly what both of us think about lost in america of course we always want to hear what you think please visit us on our facebook page do a search for the cinephiles you can subscribe to us on itunes and youtube you can leave reviews on itunes they're really really important comments on youtube are always fun uh you can buy lost in america and every other movie we've ever reviewed on our website cinephiles.net and you can visit patreon.com slash the cinephiles to support the show to pick a film or to listen to are cinephile shorts hmm. which have been a lot of fun to do and you can uh, request a topic for the shorts it's just three dollars a month to be able to hear us talk about all sorts of topics and uh as always you can reach me on twitter at sr morris on instagram at on sr morris one john where can they reach you you can always reach me at the roca says on twitter and on instagram i think that's it for this week we will see you on another long journey <laughs> <laughs> with the cinephiles What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.